Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. This is all happening at a time that we're starting to see a message shift here because you're starting to hear the Republicans, especially Trump Co., calling it the Wuhan or the Chinese coronavirus. They're looking for someone to blame. Concern is growing this morning over an outbreak of a new SARS-like virus in China. At least six people have died from the Wuhan coronavirus. The Wuhan coronavirus. The Wuhan coronavirus. The 34-year-old ophthalmologist diagnosed Saturday with the Wuhan coronavirus. The Wuhan virus. The Wuhan coronavirus. The Wuhan coronavirus. What more can you tell us about the similarities or differences between SARS and the Wuhan coronavirus? The Wuhan coronavirus. The Wuhan coronavirus in China. The Wuhan uh, coronavirus. The Wuhan coronavirus. The Wuhan uh, coronavirus. Wuhan coronavirus. Fears continue to grow over the outbreak of the Wuhan coronavirus. Wuhan coronavirus. The Wuhan coronavirus. The Wuhan coronavirus. We have new information about how the Wuhan coronavirus is spread. Tying coronavirus to China and Chinese people isn't just a racist dog whistle. It's a whole racist orchestra. It's a mighty, mighty racist bass tone. I hear Stephen Miller in this foreign virus setting up Travel bans for the outside invasion of the disease? That's not the, the way Chinese coronavirus yeah, that they've been that's not The first U.S. case of Chinese coronavirus. The Chinese coronavirus. Uh, this is coming as the Chinese coronavirus. China's coronavirus outbreak. China's coronavirus. Outbreak anxiety. The death toll nearly doubles in China's coronavirus outbreak. China's coronavirus. Just how bad is China's coronavirus crisis? China's coronavirus outbreak. China's coronavirus outbreak. China's coronavirus outbreak. China's coronavirus. China's coronavirus. China's coronavirus. China's coronavirus. Concerns about the China coronavirus. Uh, it's going to come across to a lot of Americans as smacking of a xenophobia, uh, right. to use that kind of term. And welcome back to Flyover Politics Podcast. It's the 16th of March, year of our Lord, 2020, and that's our supercut again. That one's been manipulated with a little bit more added because, well, the media just can't stop. Today's going to be a short edition. We're going to have short news and social media nuggets, a little bit of dim and the debate and a lot of coronavirus, because things have gone into full emulation is the word I'm using. It's just it's just crazy. But the media can't stop panicking people and playing politics. We're going to see three different levels. A hat, Trump's test, not enough people of color, uh, not enough women, old white men. And, of course, it's racist to call it Wuhan. We did a whole segment of all the times they did it, but they're still doing it. New York Times, and we're just going to go straight in today. Hey, there's my hey, we're in. 
New York Times, which used Wuhan virus, accuses conservatives of racism of doing the same. The name COVID-19 was clinical and nondescript, and that was exactly the point when the WHO revealed it to guard against stigmatization of the place from its origination. But a month later, the recommended terminology for the coronavirus has not extended to every corner of politics. Some conservative politicians and officials, including Secretary of State Pompeo, used Wuhan, a term that proliferated on news sites and in political commentary, mostly before the virus received official name. Paul Ghostner, Republican Arizona, used it when announcing that he was going to go into quarantine. Health officials have tried to avoid since releasing more stringent guidelines for naming viruses in 2015. Rogers, who reporting is among the most rhetorically distorted against Trump, managed to skip the Ebola epidemic named after a river in Zaire and all the other things we talked. The Times is still doing it. And so is CNN. This was from yesterday. President Trump has been giving regular updates to the public about coronavirus, but, and this is a huge but, the information he gives is not always accurate. And he often downplays the threat and contradicts statements he or his expert advisors have previously said. And yet, despite these inaccuracies, blame-shifting moments, original claims of a hoax... Vice President Mike Pence has been effusive in his praise of the president. Is there no one who privately would tell the president, you can't call this a hoax, it's no joke, and you're going to put everyone at risk if you don't take this seriously? The kind of leadership Trump was accepting praise for would have presumably led to a focus on testing kits. There's a shortage of them now instead of talking about a Democrat hoax. Remember that famous sign that President Harry Truman kept on his desk, the buck stops here? Apparently, it's no longer in the Oval Office. But not to worry. Throughout this process, Mr. President, you put the health of America first. Yeah, outside of calling the response to coronavirus a hoax when it resulted in a pandemic, assuring everyone could get tested when they clearly and still cannot, and announcing a national-scale website in a partnership with Google that does not exist, the president has you covered. That's CNN. People are still calling it because this will be called viruses. But the Times in overdrive. New York Times angry at Trump's America first. Attacks on allies. Blaming China for the virus. He's right. In an article they put front page, his White House address on Wednesday night was cast in distinctive America first terms seeming to suggest that the United States acting alone could halt a scourge that started in China. It ravages Italy and knows no borders. It seems to the Europeans to be less about containment than about punishment. Instead, his instinct was to follow the course he set when he pulled out of the Paris Accord and the right nuclear accord. There you go. That's what it's about. It's just Trump. I mean, we, we have literal tweet stuff we'll get to at the back end of this, where, where they're calling it the Trump virus. And it's allowed, it's allowed on Twitter. You, you can do that. You, you just can. There's nothing wrong with, with, with it. It's, it's, it's what we do now. But the biggest problem they're having comes from, um, where did I get this tweet? Make sure I, I attribute it to the right person, um, and unfortunately today I got I got a dog a Tennessean which really hurts me because we got that to talk to 
which we'll probably do next before we get into all the rest of the stuff. It's, 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 well, it's just pathetic. I can't believe a Tennessean would do it, but they did. Um, here is, uh, four, uh, I got this from David Levitt. 48% of Americans trust Donald Trump to handle the pandemic. 48% of Americans are absolutely fucking idiots. Newsweek, only 48% of Americans trust Donald Trump to hand the coronavirus. The latest MSDNC poll says 48% of Americans trust Trump to hand the virus. Since we know MSNBC hates Trump and is working for the DNC, we can least easily add 10 points. And when you go with the inlays, it is 42% Democrat. 32% Republican, the rest is all independent. So that is highly, highly biased. But that's that's what they do. But they they have gotten people so scared. It's hit here. Um, I went out two days ago to go get some toilet paper. We, we didn't have toilet paper. Um... Not that you really care. I don't use toilet papers. I use toilet wipes. My wife used toilet paper. She was down to two rolls. I got the last big container of toilet, 24 rolls of toilet paper. I then went on to spend $375 with the groceries, not to hoard, but because my son said, you better get groceries. By today... Our son has sent us pictures. There's nothing in the Kroger. On post, there's nothing at the commissary. Walmarts. Every Walmart in this town is cleared out. And some of it comes from douche nozzles like this guy, Matt Colvin from Tennessee. Can't find find. Hand sanitizer, Matt Colvin has 17,700 bottles of it. He emptied stores across Tennessee hoping to profit. Then Amazon pulled his listing. So did eBay. Now he's one of the likely thousands of Amazon sellers sitting on stockpiles. They shamed him. Local representatives showed up. The next thing you know, he's now donated it because he doesn't have a choice. He can't sell it. He can't sell any of it. It's just, it's gone. His ability to sell is out the door, which is good. And I'm really kind of glad. But there's pictures all over Twitter, Facebook. I'm sure you've all seen it. They they literally, people were buying 30, box, uh, 30 bundles of fucking toilet paper. And hoarding it because they didn't think they'd be able to get anything. My wife, who said, why did you buy 10 pounds of hamburger? Then the next day goes, thank you for buying 10 pounds of hamburger. Because had I not bought the 10 pounds of hamburger, we would have food. But our intent was to get at least uh, a month's supply of meat to go with the stuff we have at our house. Because we're like everybody else. We have plenty of uh, stores. So we went out. Or I went out and I bought all that. And I'm really glad I did. Because by the next day, there was nothing. There's no meat anywhere 
And with our son, who works once again for Kroger, they're not going to have anything. Um, people are doing outlandish little orders and their company saying, you're not going to get it. As is when I went to roll in and get stuff from him, his trucks were half. They couldn't get it all. But this is all brought on by the media. Then the next wave was, and we'll hit it more on the political side, uh, certain governors, which are all Democratic, started yelling at Trump in reference to, you know, why is this or why is that? And so now we have the close down. The close down has started. Bars, restaurants. That came, I believe, and, you know, I'm not for sure on this, but I'm pretty much pretty close to being sure, from one video that went out on Twitter of downtown Broadway in Tennessee, in Nashville, excuse me. And long story short, there was a club that was wall-to-wall people. And these liberals started saying, hey, why are we doing this Donald Trump? Why aren't you fixing this Donald Trump? Because, you know, once again, during a dim, it is local communities, blah, 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 blah. During the last four years, it's been, what the fuck, he is a fascist trying to run the country, he's a dictator. Now, oh, you're not doing enough. So, to spite him, their intent was, well, fuck it, we're going to close everything down. And they have now closed everything down. Uh, Nashville mayor asked for closures of all bars and to limit the amount of people that can go into restaurants. That's that's the latest thing. So that's across the board. It started in Ohio. It's now everywhere. Panic, 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 panic. Let's keep panicking, people. That's what we need to do, panic people. And then they go out and they buy all the food. And the funniest thing about this, and it's not funny, but to be quite honest, me and my wife talked about it because we had a call with our daughter. Well, now our daughter, she's a poor person. These people that can't go and hoard now don't have food. They can't get food. Because you guys have spun it up so goddamn bad that people bought everything out because they're afraid they weren't going to have anything to have. And now grocery stores are empty. Restaurants are getting closed down. For what? I mean, seriously, for what? We haven't even eclipsed 100 deaths in America. We haven't even eclipsed 2,000 cases. This is a bad virus. We talk about it every podcast. It's a horrible virus. I am not downplaying the virus and saying the virus is a nothing burger. But it affects old. It doesn't affect young. And because they want to own Trump, as we'll see with the rest of this podcast, and tank the economy, they've effectively hurt the people that they supposedly are for, that conservatives aren't for. Poor people. You just fucked them. Poor people are fucked. 
And I'm half chuckling because I don't think they thought out what they were doing. It, it's the usual Democrat thing. You do everything based on emotion. Facts don't mean anything. You can call it an AR-14 because it, you know the point. And you can intersectionality everything to pander to people to vote. And then the result is no food in the country. People so freaked out they won't leave their house. And maybe that's good if this does break to Italy. But they're staring at Italy with 350 deaths in a day. And they're spazzing. It's it's almost it's just it's almost criminal what has happened to this country but more to that on the back end i kind of went on a tangent sorry pudge february trump's acting like a dictator march why isn't trump acting like a dictator a quote from the new york times report sparked that talking point mr trump has essentially become a bystander school superintendents sport commissioners college presidents governors and business owners across country take it upon themselves to shut down much of american life Here's the deal, media. If he shut it down, you would say he's overreacting. And he's a dictator. Media gets held to its own Wuhan virus standards. Reporters turned away and they fucking snap. Shyman Papukasas, don't know how to say the name. CNN White House team, a journalist was denied entry to the press briefing after having a 99.9 fever. He was trying to get press to the access to the briefing was turned away and he's being held by the press office on the White House driveway. And it appears that someone was caught up in the safety screening. This action undertaken by the White House becomes yet another example in this viral crisis of President Trump being damned if he does or damned if he doesn't. It was said he was demanding his presidency be not closing off our access. And then the moment he blocked flights, he was called a xenophobe. It was commended that he provided relief for workers who may become furloughed and sent home. Then he was offered to rescind taxes. It was called political ploy. Case in point, after days of saying it was irresponsible that the president had yet to be tested, we'll cover that in a second because that is pure, pure hate. Cast. So the White House is aware of measures to take to stop the spread. They believe they work, but aren't putting them into widespread use. Only for them. Mike Levine, CDC is considered a person to have a fever when he or she is measured 100.4. That's not even a present fever. Saman published again. Update. Katie Waldman Miller, spokesman for the Vice President, tweeted, according to the White House Medical Unit, the temperature was taken three times over a 15-minute period. All three registered above 100.4 guideline. You can't come in. Grayson Taylor. So now that we know the person did have a fever or more on three separate measurements, the question becomes, who made up the lie of 99.9? Serenity now. This is intended to start a conspiracy theory by earlier it came out that he was paranoid that reporters were going to give him COVID-19. Not verified. Just people thought it. Meta gonna met. This is what the White House wanted, to find a member of the media that can blame for Trump's positive test. Making uh, a stand for any member of the press to go anywhere near our president with a fever is unacceptable. He shouldn't have even showed up for work unless his intent was to malicious was malicious. You guys really don't get that. Pete B. Did this journalist not realize they had a fever? I mean, most people would at least not would at least not feel comfortable at the temp. 
Brad Horshkosh, media yesterday. Oh, my God, why didn't the president get tested? Media today. Oh, my God, why didn't they allow a sick journalist next to him? Comfortably slug, smug. My God, lock the journals up. They disease and a threat to us all, because they are. Because while they're not playing all the different games I talked about, the hat, the color, intersectionality, his test, they were bashing Fox News. First, Joe Lockhart that started it. When this is all over, we properly examine what was done right and what was done wrong. I hope we can have an honest, rational conversation on the toxic effect of Fox News. They are a critical instrument of Trump and his approach to crisis. Then, Joy Reid, who's been putting her toe in the water and saying it kind of, she just came out and said it. So Fox News reportedly benched now Trish Regan, who was yeah. the lady with the, for those of you who don't watch Fox, like with the very large blonde hair, um, who was, you know, being very serious about right. saying that, you know, it's just an attack on Donald Trump and it's a new impeachment. So they benched her show. Um, according to the Washington Post, Rupert Murdoch, um, well, there's, a, there's an, uh, an op-ed uh, in the Washington Post. Says, Rupert Murdoch can actually save lives by forcing Fox News to tell the truth about the coronavirus right now. Um, and this is just a piece of it. It says, and so let's acknowledge the obvious. There are, there, there is no more important player in influencing Trump than Fox News, and no more powerful figure at Fox than its patriarch. Murdoch might consider too that with the median age of Fox viewers around 65, they're among the most vulnerable to the virus's threats. It, it, you, you know, as a media analyst for a very long time, do you see any any possibility that Fox may want to try to save its own viewers <laughs> by forcing this narrative to change? Because it's true, if they change their narrative, it's not true if Trump, they follow Trump or Trump follows them, but they will act right. together. Right. Anyone waiting for Mur Robert Murdoch to do the honorable thing is going to wait a very, very long time after someone who's watched him for 20 years. Look, Fox News has been getting people killed for years. I mean, just look at their crusade against affordable health care, their cru crusade against expanding Medicaid. Um, this is not unusual for them. It's far more dire. Uh, I mean, I've been watching and documenting Fox News for 15 years. I mean, they are a cancer on this country. There's no question about it. So who knows what they're going to do? Uh, you know, their, their programming is to vilify, uh, stir hatred and paranoia. And if they're going to, you know, if it's a pandemic, is the Yes, Fox are killing people because they're not fear-mongering every second of the day. Which brings us to our media people. These are just tweets. Twites. Chris Hayes. I increasingly convinced I'm, is what he meant to say, but he did I, increasingly convinced we need Congress to pass a trillion dollar stimulus in the next week focused on people, not industry bailouts. Probably best just direct cash. Just hand cash to our people. Chris Hayes, again, this is bizarre. Just a roll call of big, important American businesses. Because that's how we're going to be able to shore up the economy, you morons. I know you want the economy to tank, but you don't understand. That's the next phase of this. We have fear. We're shutting everything down. If we have a fucking meltdown, it's over. It's just over. If we have another financial crisis. It's over. You can cancel America. We're done. I'm, I'm not fear-mongering. That's just a reality. If everything crashes like 2007 on top of a pandemic, it's over. The country will stop functioning. There are people trying to make people understand this is serious, but don't spaz. And then there's people, for political reasons, 
trying to win an election. Be damned the consequences. Julie Ihoff, the private sector is important in this, but is this just because Trump only understands CEOs that they're all up there? Where are the scientists? Where's the CDC and the FDA? They did come out and talk. David Brooks, I get the sense that this is not only the low point of Trump's presidency, but the low point of American presidency ever. Has any president ever been this overmatched by a crisis? Gotta, gotta make politics out of it. He's an independent too, supposedly. Uh, Matthew Dowd, who got crushed by liberals also, went to a fundraiser night in Wimberley for two friends of mine who were part of the Rebel, Rebel Rally, the first women's off-road navigation rally array in the U.S. We gathered, hugged, listened to live music, laughed. Let us not let fear change who we are. Let us connect with one another. The same guy who just said that, um, this is over. Trump can't handle it. We're all gonna die. See, that's what they do. They'll say it, but they're still living a life normal. Sam Stein, uh, ex-MSDNC guy. I'm not the first person to make this observation, but it truly is remarkable the degree to which local and state officials, as well as private entities and businesses, are making these massive public health policy decisions, while the feds seem to be moving much, much slower. That's how it works. What did Katrina teach us? Oh, George Bush doesn't care about black people. What Katrina taught us was local administrations, because they were liberal, waited on the federal government, and then everybody died. Local administrations have to act. The government doesn't have the ability to shut everything down. If they do, you call them a dictator. So when they do bring people out and people do come and try to calm the public, because that's where we're at now, we got to scale it back. We've gone too far. Brian Seltzer comes on, pens some shit, and does a show dogging the Surgeon General. This is CNN. There's no way around it. The Trump administration's missteps and mistakes have aggravated the coronavirus crisis in the U.S. Officials in both parties are admitting that, just some more bluntly than others. So it is essential for reporters to scrutinize the government's actions and inactions. Right now, the media is trying to hold the government accountable, demanding to know where are the tests, when will testing roll out. They say there's going to be an announcement Sunday at 5 p.m. We'll see what the announcement is. But yesterday, Saturday, Trump's Surgeon General Jerome Adams had a peculiar message for the media. Some straight talk from the nation's doctor. We really need you all to lean into and prioritize the health and safety of the American people. No more bickering. No more partisanship. No more criticism or finger pointing. There'll be plenty of time for that. He said he needs that. So let me tell you what I need. I need him to do his job, focus on keeping the country as healthy as possible. Do not lecture the media on how to handle this. Because, yes, the the press is prioritizing public health. Every hour, journalists are getting information out to the public about how to protect themselves. But criticism is part of the American democratic experiment. It is so important to be able to criticize and challenge our leaders and demand answers. Look at what happened overnight at these airports where there were Americans coming back from Europe who could well be sick who are being told to stand together closely in line for hours and possibly spread the virus. What the hell happened there?
Yeah, I'm criticizing the government. That is what we are here to do. That is what's necessary in these moments in order to provoke change and improvements. This is how it works. It's how it's worked for 200 plus years. It works quite well and it works especially well in these moments. You know, Fox's Greg Gutfeld used to say it really well. Before he went full Trump, he used to say, criticism is a guardrail. And that's exactly what it is. Criticism is a guardrail. Speaking of Fox, right-wing media did unquestionable damage by downplaying the effects of the coronavirus weeks ago. Even, even up until a few days ago, there were people on television downplaying the severity of this, trying to call it a hoax or an attempt to hurt the president. Shame on them. Of course, they're not talking that way anymore. Most of them have grown up and realized how serious this is, uh, and they are now talking differently on Fox. In fact, kudos to Fox News for being at Newark Air Airport this morning and pointing out the failures at the airports, pointing out the government's failures to test the folks who were coming back from Europe. I thought there was great accountability journalism on Fox and Friends, and I hope the president watched. Let's talk about this and more. Uh, Oliver Darcy is back here with me in New York. Susan Glasser is in Washington. I'm getting to a point, but I want to go through all this stuff because I'll get to my point. He went on and put a whole thing. We really need to all lean into the prioritize the health and safety of the American people, Surgeon General Jerome Adams said. No more bickering, no more partisanship, no more criticism or finger pointing. There'll be plenty of time for that. But we all need to hit the reset button and lean to moving forward in health and safety of the American people. He's right. What Adams called bickering and criticism is most of us call accountability. Is there value in focusing on the future? Yes. But what Adams said, he would let stories look at what happened in the past. I am saying stop exposing Trump administration's failure. There's one gaping problem with Seltzer's sermon. Nothing that went wrong under Obama was Obama's fault. There was no need for accountability on anything that happened when Obama was president, starting with today's discussion, the H1N1 virus. But you can list almost anything. Terrible health care failures at VA hospital, Benghazi, Secret Service, IRS, over and over and over. Here's Seltzer criticizing CBS News in 2014 on Benghazi for overcompensating with Obama aide Ben Rhodes having a brother, David Rhodes, who was president of CBS News. CBS has at times been so aggressive over Benghazi, and I've had sources describe it to me as overcompensating. In other words, the network perceived to have gone out of its way to pursue the story to inoculate itself against the charges of Having a brother working there. But it may be very zeal that led to disaster. Disaster was an erroneous Laura Logan report on 60 Minutes. CBS makes mistakes, but Seltzer routinely honors Dan Rather on his show. So usually not that concerned. Maybe only when the zeal is in question of a Democratic president. Seltzer also lectured the Surgeon General to shut up on Twitter. Adams used the word need talking to the press corps. So I will too. He needs to spend his time educating the public. Karen Tumley's tweet. Surgeon General admonishes reporters that they should not be holding government officials accountable for the action. The real danger to the national health is not to. He tweeted about this. Need and listed what he said. Jeff Cunningham. Journalists dictate how Surgeon General of the U.S. should do his job. Surgeon General, we need to focus on the problem and not engage in partisan fighting. Brian, Leroy Jenkins, I'd be a lot more sympathetic to your pontificating about the media's role in ensuring accountability if your network didn't host Anthony Sakamuki today to give his opinion about the coronavirus. Yes, the media has a vital role. It's to deliver crucial facts. Do that. Expert, MSM, stop being part of the problem. MSM, shut up. This is our media. Andy Slavitt. 
COVID-19 prep update. This, this is all scaremongering, fear-mongering. This is what the left's reading. This is what the left's reading, and this is why they're freaking out. But remember, 48% say he's doing just fine on a liberal poll because people realize a president can only do so much, and he was aggressive, and all you did was criticize his travel bans. This is what he's putting out. It's all over-the-top, worst-case scenario. COVID-19 prep update, March 14th. Last night I was doing state and local officials around the U.S. well into the night. By March 23rd, most of our largest cities and hospitals are going to be overrun with cases. I'm going to prepare a memo for them. I will share highlights. Which cities? What states? What officials? Nobody knows. They are highly dependent on the public response, so we'll start there. We have no immunity to COVID-19. People who get it don't know for a while, and for each person that gets it, they infect two-plus people, an R-naught of two. I said that. He didn't, but he's a scientist. So, yeah, okay. You may have seen graphs that look like this. It shows how far behind Italy we are tracking in days and how our trajectory compares. The U.S., even a country that hasn't taken better preventive measures like South Korea and Japan, is directly on course, lagging two weeks behind. Italy? Everybody ask Italy? Really? You're going to take the worst case? This is what it looks like in Italian hospitals. Every report describes that it's a tsunami, and it happened like a tsunami. In major cities, we will have tens of thousands more cases than we have beds, and we will have one ventilator for eight people. What are mayors, governors, and staffs reporting? The people are jamming the bars. I get it. Home from work, cooped up, crisis mentality. We need to let steam off, but stop that. The only way to prevent Italy, given our lack of testing, is to socially isolate. Don't leave your homes. And we wonder why people are panic buying. Let me flip to my advice to mayors and governors. The first thing is going to start with expanding medical capacity. Has to be done, but will only make a tiny difference if we don't isolate. Hospitals get rid of electric elective procedures, expand negative pressures, rooms, move ventilators, capacity, blah, blah, blah. on the phone with someone in Seattle, ASAP to talk through everything they went through, ran out of blah, 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 blah. And they, it's balanced out in Seattle, actually. State officials in some states want to screen at their international airlines, and Trump at midnight did not, could not support them. Now we must consider stronger measures for stage three countries, auto quarantine. Many cities and states are considering calling in help from National Guard. Alarm, my view at this point is better than now than the Red Cross later. Which cities, which state, prove it, not a single source. From every expert I've talked to, I'm less convinced that schools should be closed. Either way, open or closed, there are about 8 to 10 items that need to be considered, including meals, child care, blah, 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 blah. Give the germ spreaders a place to go. Feed them. Teach them to be smarter than us when they grow up and then protect the teachers. We need sufficient testing for that. Calico Jack, you're a stain and a fear monger. You're a shyster with credentials. There's a reason pandemics are studied for years. You have very little evidence that they're going to be like Italy, but you're getting retweets and panicking people. Congrats. Daily Coast. I wrote about something that's been driving me crazy this week. America is a sham. Coronavirus is exposing the arbitrary, cruel realities of business as usual. All over America, the coronavirus is revealing or at least reminding us just how much of a contemporary American life is bullshit with power structures built on punishment and fear as opposed to our best interests. Whenever the government or corporate benevolence withdraws some 
punitive threat because of the coronavirus is a signal that there's never any good reason for that threat to exist in the first place. Each day of this public health care <clears throat> brings a new example. People thrown in jail for minor offenses. San Antonio is one of many jurisdictions to announce that to keep jails from being overcrowded with six citizens will stop doing that. Why were they doing it in the first place? The federal government charging interest on loans to attend colleges. Well, Donald Trump has instructed government agencies to administer loans to waive interest accruals for the duration of the crisis. But why on earth do we do it to begin with? And it goes on and just picks apart everything that has nothing to do with the virus. Carl Gustav, if only everyone hated America as much as I do, this would be a better place to live. More Trump should resign. Liberal tech outlet says Trump should resign over coronavirus. The deputy editor for a popular tech outlet says that she has just the solution for improving the coronavirus. Trump resigns. No, really. That's the headline of a piece by The Verge. Elizabeth Lopato of The Verge has declared the president is a danger to public health, could kill hundreds of thousands, based on nothing. Rick Wilson. I don't know the day of reckoning, but I suspect the people who sank into the fear of Trump, who defended every outrage, who put him before what they knew was right and pretended this chaos and corruption was a glorious new age, will play a terrible price. They deserve it. Basically, I hope they die. Dismantling civilization. Hollywood pins pandemic on worst human, Trump. No matter what happens with the virus, whether it consumes the world in its entirety or mercilessly sputters out, Hollywood nut jobs have declared the Chinese-originated virus is the worst thing imaginable <clears throat> by the worst human being imaginable. Hellboy actor Ron Perlman, who looks like he survived a severe nuclear winter, whined like a schoolgirl with a scraped knee that Trump, not the Wuhan virus, nor media fear-mongering, dismantles civilization. The Sour Purse tweeted, probably the most fascinating thing about the unique creediness being is that a dismantled civilization with every breath he takes, as he's called to reckoning by every thinking, feeling human worldwide, he seems like he's doing just fine, giddy even. Oh yes, because... If he and Mr. Perlman's quivering demeanor, we'd calmly weather this. Bradley Whitford struts straight for hyperbole. Worst human being imaginable is charge of our most vulnerable moment imaginable. See, they have built this up in their head that there was going to be a crisis and that he wasn't going to be able to handle it. So now they have to talk like that even though he is handling it. So when the last briefing ha- happened, and all they could do is bash the Attorney General for saying, hey, we need to start working together, let's get this going, we went after stupid shit, like his hat. White House reporter tweets contempt for Trump wearing a USA hat. For a bunch of people who still act outraged that anyone mocked Barack Obama wearing a tan suit, the liberals sure take offense every time Trump has cheapened an occasion with a Trump hat. The president appeared with a navy blue cap that says USA at the open of Saturday's coronavirus briefing. The president spoke for 15 minutes before handing it over to the vice president. The USA camp is a Trump campaign merchandise with a 45 on one side, a flag on the other, and Trump in the back. But all you could see was USA. Chris Magarin Trump is at a White House address, a national emergency of a global pandemic while wearing a baseball hat you can buy on his campaign website. Magarin received a bunch of replies from people who said the hat is great and that they might actually buy one. 
or have one similar. The whole time I was watching this, I was thinking, I have to get one of those hats. That's a nut thing is nice. Jim Shorts tweeted at the reporter. Let me explain so maybe you'll understand. USA stands for the United States of America. Trump is the president of the USA. See how that works? 45 means he's the 45th president in U.S. history. Like it, like if Gary Sanchez wore a New York Yankees hat at the press conference, SMDH. The Bradford file tweeted, breaking the president of the United States wears a USA hat and appears to love America. Andy Show added Los Angeles Times fake reporter covering what the president is wearing instead of a covering the content shared regarding a global pandemic. Twitchy concluded, the ratio on this tweet is astounding, but a few people are complaining that Trump violated the Hatch Act by campaigning while in official business. We're pretty sure he just grabbed a fucking hat. HuffPost editor-in-chief popped up the other day to assure Megyn Kelly that she could find good, solid information on the coronavirus she could take to the bank from literally any mainstream outlet. So what have we learned from the media? We've learned that President Trump coronavirus task force formed in January isn't diverse enough and also that it smacked a xenophobia, that Trump referred to COVID-FD as a foreign virus. That's the kind of important information we're getting from mainstream outlets like CNN. And then they go on the fucking hat. Other replies. <clears throat> Can you tweet out a link? I'd like to buy one. Thanks for the ad, Chris. So sorry this happened to you, Chris. A Mazingale gift basket is on the way. <laughs> what does this have to do? What does this hat have to do with anything? We know, we know, Orange Man bad. Sorry this happened to you. Pray for Chris. Oh my God, I'm sitting at home isolated from seeing my grandkids and this motherfucker is bitching about a cap Donald Trump decided to wear. I've witnessed some unbelievable bad press in my lifetime, but the COVID-19 has really shown how TDS has infected the media. And it does. It just affected the media on a way that they can't pull back. Pete Phillips sums it up. You're a douche. Go back under your bed. Trump has this. The ratio on the tweet is astounding. Then we went into Mimi Roca. When Dr. Brinks was talking about this, she had this ridiculously chipper voice like she was unveiling a new awesome car model. It was disturbing. And they were showing the drive through lads. By graining her presentation, you've signaled exactly how serious we need to take this nonsense. Is everyone on the left in some competition to be the biggest asshole during the pandemic? Is there a trophy? Brandon Darby, note, the Trump coronavirus team is all male, all old, and all white. So to break that down, they said there wasn't enough women. A woman did a briefing. They dogged that woman because she's conservative. Then they went into it's all white and men. So we've done businesses. Not enough women, but the woman there is a loser. Uh, too many white people. A fucking hat. But the biggest one was his test. That picture that floated around. They bullied him into taking a test. And then when he got the test, guess what? They didn't believe the results of the test. Go ahead, please. 
Mr. President, thank you. I want to first follow up on Jeff's question, because the person you were standing next to, whether you know who he is or not, tested positive for coronavirus. Dr. Fauci said this morning, if you stand next to somebody who tested positive, you should self-isolate and get a test. You say your White House doctor is telling you something different. Who should Americans listen to? And my second question is... I think they have to listen to their doctors, and I think they uh, shouldn't be jumping to get the test unless it's necessary, but I think they have to listen to their doctors, and I I mean, I don't know, I haven't seen the picture. Somebody said there's a picture with somebody taking a picture with me, but I haven't seen it. Doctors have said you might have it even if you don't have symptoms. Are you being selfish by not getting tested and potentially... Well, I didn't say I wasn't going to be tested. Are you going to be? Uh, Most likely, yeah. Most likely. Not for that reason, but because I think I will do it anyway. Uh, Will you let us Fairly soon. We're working on that. We're working out a schedule. My second question, Mr. President, that was a follow-up. Go ahead. So much to talk about, so many questions. So let's bring in our expert, our chief medical correspondent, Dr. Jennifer Ashton. Let's start, Jen, good morning, by the way. Let's start uh, with the the COVID-19 test that the president took. It's negative. Is he out of the woods? Well, here's the difficult thing about the testing. Um, Right now, we don't totally know how this virus behaves in terms of the asymptomatic period, in terms of can people develop symptoms after a certain time. What we do know, just published in the last week, is that the average incubation is 5.2 days and by 11 days 97 percent of people who convert to positive have done so by day 11. We also know that people can have coronavirus and not show symptoms and we know that some percentage cannot have a fever. So when to test, how often to test is still being you know worked out. It's a new virus. Yep. I feel great, uh, Nicole. Thank you so much uh, for uh, the opportunity. Um, it was a huge surprise uh, for me this morning uh, when I found out that I had tested positive. Uh, not expecting that. Uh, I was in a, uh, yesterday I was in a council meeting and it was evident that I was in a place with a member of President Bolsonaro's delegation who had a confirmed test positive. I was in a picture uh, close by to him. And uh, the health department uh, asked me to come in and take uh, an exam, even though I had not been uh, displaying uh, complete symptoms. Uh, I went in yesterday, uh, and uh, today I uh, was informed uh, that I tested positive. And was it so you, you didn't have any trouble getting the test because there was a request that for public health, out of public health safety, you take the test. Is that right? <laughs> Exactly, and, and obviously it's a continuing operation procedure and protocol. Uh, the county mayor here also got tested, um, and and uh, and I was tested as well. Um, obviously, it creates a, a sort of a, a trickle effect because now um, you know our city manager, our police chief have quarantined. A few of our council members have quarantined, um, and if they start feeling symptoms, uh, I think they're also being tested today as well. So this is a, 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 pr- a protocol that we follow for a continuing uh, operation of government. Uh, protocol. So you were um, around the Brazilian official, and I know it wasn't the same event, but this was the same official who was around President Trump. Is that right? Yeah, that's me with uh, President Bolsonaro. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in a green room with uh, with his spokesman uh, two days, uh, Monday uh, in the morning and Tuesday in the morning. Uh, I could have shaken his hand and I could have spoken to him. I mean, there was 20 people in the green room the first day and 50 people the second day. It could have been someone else in the green room. And certainly I interact with a lot of people, so it, it could have been anybody. Um, but, uh, you know, the people that were a part of uh, my security team um, 
have uh, have some some of them have been tested and have already come back negative. Uh, my chief of staff uh, was tested and came back negative. So um, you know those are those are good things. Those were people that were in the vicinity of where I was. Um, so that's all good news. Mayor, you were around someone that tested positive for coronavirus. Donald Trump was around someone who tested positive for coronavirus. You have no symptoms. You feel good. He tells us he has no symptoms. He <laughs> feels good. You know that you tested positive because you took a test. Does that lead you to believe that Donald Trump should also take? a test well you know it seems like you reported just a few minutes ago that he said that he was going to take a test you know i followed the advice of the medical professionals um i uh, immediately upon learning that i was in the vicinity of someone who had tested positive i self-quarantined uh immediately in fact uh, i declared my state of emergency uh, via a remote video and then um and i'm still continuing to operate as a mayor but i'm simply doing it uh, remotely and in quarantine um, uh, the Department of Health, once they discovered that I was uh, in a close proximity with someone uh, who was uh, who was contaminated, uh, asked me to come in. And, of course, I did that uh, uh, expeditiously. I guess what I'm getting at, though, is he was today on a stage shaking hands, touching hand-to-hand with the CEOs of four major companies and the entire coronavirus task force. He's asymptomatic if he has it. Um, and we don't know that he does, but you are too. So, so I guess my question yeah. to you is, do you feel any different? I mean, does feeling fine mean you shouldn't be tested? Well, I can tell you that uh, I felt fine, that I was asymptomatic. I'm starting to feel a little bit of symptoms. Uh, I'm not sure if it's the coronavirus or, or the fact that I've done about a dozen interviews uh, today. <laughs> uh, but, but, but no, I think, I think certainly I'm starting to feel a, a little bit of the fatigue that comes with uh, a cold and a flu. Um, and, and hoping that, um, you know, the symptoms don't get any worse. I'm also going to be doing an online uh, diary so that my residents can feel comfortable understanding that, yes, I'm only one of two people in the county that has, uh, that, that has tested positive, but I want them to see the progress of, of the virus. Uh, I'm young, I'm, you know, my 40s, and I'm healthy, uh, but I think it's important uh, for them to understand what it, it feels like to be infected so that, uh, as inevitably more people are unfortunately infected in our community, uh, they're not as apprehensive. Mayor Suarez, what you're doing is really important, and I'm very grateful that you spent some time with us. I appreciate your message about Thank getting you, tested and appreciate listening it. to public health officials. Thank you. It's something that, I, it's just stunning. I mean, he was in contact with the same uh, the same official or someone from the same delegation yeah. who tested positive. He's in self-quarantine. It, it, he, he didn't have any symptoms when he tested positive. Donald Trump says he doesn't have any symptoms, but he could be positive. He just shook hands with the CEOs of four major companies yeah. and stood within spitting distance of every member of this country's coronavirus task force. Well, it, it's irrational. It, it is just... Is it dangerous? Of, of course it's dangerous because any one of those people could have, if he has it or any of the others have it, they're doing exactly what we're telling people not to do. You know, it's like uh, a hand on the heart, three feet apart, three feet apart, or you know, a little elbow thing. If anything, but you know, this is just a, what, what an example to give to to the country. Well, and I appreciate the mayor being public-facing. He tested positive after being with a member of the same delegation that was with Donald Trump. And and I just, I can't say enough, having worked for a president, the president travels around the world with a doctor because the president's health is an, of international concern. We are all his, we all have a right to know if the president is positive or negative for coronavirus. And, of course, the president is of an age and has underlying health issues where yes. he would be particularly vulnerable yeah. to the coronavirus, 
were he to contract it. And to this point, yes, maybe he's not showing off any symptoms, but this was just a few days ago, his meeting at Mar-a-Lago with the Brazilian delegation. It could certainly still change. He may be passing it to others. Uh, and it seems... Not just others, every member right. of the task force that we're Very looking to to protect others. our right. country. And Very members important of the others. cabinet and the White House senior staff and every, you know, everyone else that he comes into contact with every day in that building. You know what close quarters is in the White House. It is a is a, a rabbit warren in there, and, and if the president's stomping around in there refusing to get uh, tested, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, I, we have long since given up the notion that Donald Trump is a role model. I mean, no one, no one, even his fans don't consider Donald Trump a role model. But at this moment, the level of danger that, and risk that is out there, the president much, it has to be held to a standard where he should be trying to model appropriate behavior for the United States. And again, he's every single day, in every moment when he says, I'm not doing this, I, just because, I mean, his doctor, he goes to his doctors and says, I don't want to do this. Like, what doctor is there in the White House who's going to tell him to do what he doesn't want to do? He should be willingly eager. Now, that was off the press conference where they bullied him to be tested. Some people found it positive. Bring in CEOs, particularly intelligent touch. Vast majority of Americans live within 20 minutes of a Target, Walmart, etc. Makes the response real to them. That was John Noonan. David French, the very good thing about this press conference is that it should put a bed to bed once and for all. The lingering idea that this isn't a big deal. The show of force of public-private institution is important. There's still too many folks who think this is much to do about nothing. But not the blue checks. Why is the president of the national stage shaking the hand of every business leader? This is precisely what we, the people, are being told not to do by every expert in government itself. We need leaders who lead and do so by example, by word, and by deed. Uh, shake hands to own the coronavirus. Why are we all touching? Chances every one of the CEOs touched positive because they touched the mic. Bob Seska, Trump has been exposed to coronavirus victims, hasn't been tested, keeps shaking hands, CEO. Julie Ioff, watching everyone, including Anthony Fotuki, touch the fucking microphone. Jim Acosta, Trump offered to shake hands with one particular at news conference. The man opted for an elbow bump because he's good and he's bad. Andrew Carell, a minute worth of footage of Trump and healthcare execs fondling the mic. Report comes back, Trump has finally tested for coronavirus. Now we wait for the results. This was from Vox. And they literally were upset once again when Yamachi Alcindor, White House doctor, says President Trump has tested negative. Byron York, Trump tested negative. This evening I received confirmation the test is negative from the New York Times. Reminder, this was the same White House doctor who last night said President Trump didn't need a test for coronavirus. Now a day later the doctor says he tested Trump for the virus and he's negative. Gotta put, gotta put doubt. Can't, can't just re- be a reporter. Caitlin Collins, Trump announced he took the coronavirus last night, which is when his doctor sent a memo saying he didn't need one. Andrea Mitchell, Donald Trump takes coronavirus when his doctor put out a statement last night saying it was not necessary. Got it raised out. Palmer report, Donald Trump's supposed, supposed negative coronavirus test result just came became even more suspicious. Stephen Miller that this all took 20 minutes from the announcement to reminder he said he didn't need one. Kurt Eichenwald, if the president does not have a COVID-19, it's a good thing. Bad thing, after the end of lies and his admission today that he had a fever, I have no doubt if he did have it, White House would lie. So despite announcement, no one could be comfortable that it's true. 
Steve Lochner. So which statement by the White House physician Sean Conley is a lie? This one where he says Trump was tested last night or the one that he didn't need to be tested? Maria Kunching. Well, with chirons like this just prior to results being released, we all knew where firefighters were running towards. Virus coordinator. Negative test means you're negative that day. That was on CNN. One below infinity. Dems, Trump won't get tested. Trump, fine, I'll take a test. Dems and Trump, it's negative. Dems, we don't believe you. They really want to elect another Democrat so they can go back to being stenographers. So, yeah, the test, bullshit. It's not true. It's not not a test. And then on top of fucking business leaders, uh, he's a liar, hats, not the right intersectionality, he lied on the test. They were pushing Spencer Ackerman from the Daily Beast. But, 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 there would be shortages in socialist economy with pictures of what's happened to our stores. And then they bring on people like Cuomo. Hey, it's time. It's time to nationalize everything and not let the federal government be in charge of anything. These are the fucking people that are for big government. But Trump. Here's the reality. This is a war-like situation. We're in a wartime scenario yes. with a Mar-a-Lago attitude <laughs> being used by the yeah. federal government, right? It's, it's so laid back. And I don't understand it. And by the way, testing, how about ventilators? Where is the federal government making sure that our hospitals have the ventilators we're going to need? Where is the federal government when it comes to surgical masks, getting them distributed where they need? This is a case for a nationalization, literally a nationalization of crucial factories and industries that could produce the medical supplies to prepare this country for what we need. Senator Bob Casey, right now in America, it's easier to get an AR-15 than a test kit for COVID-19. Now we're doing the politics. Yeah, We got the media, and then the politics, and then we got this dickhead from Illinois coming in, and he started the close down because he went shit crazy over the airports, and somehow that's Trump's fault that kind of confidence in President Trump individually. Governors, as the heads of state government, top that list. And we have two of them with us this morning, Republican Governor Mike DeWine of Ohio and Democratic Governor J.B. Pritzker of Illinois. Gentlemen, welcome to Meet the Press. As you both, I think, heard, I referred to both of you during that interview with with, uh, Dr. Fauci. Governor Pritzker, let me start with you with what happened overnight at O'Hare. And again, you weren't the only airport, but every major international airport uh, seemed to have a similar situation. Dr. Fauci seemed to say, look, that that is what's going to happen when you come back into this country. What do you believe should have been done that wasn't done? Well, that's not right. I mean, I have enormous respect for Dr. Fauci, but that's just incorrect. We knew when the president gave the orders that uh, European travel back to the United States was going to be cut off, that there would be an influx of people, Americans and others, that would come uh, before the final cutoff. So what should have happened? 
they should have increased the Customs and Border Patrol uh, numbers, and they should have increased the number of CDC personnel on the ground doing those checks. They did neither of those. So last night, as people were flooding into O'Hare Airport, they were stuck in a small area, hundreds yeah. and hundreds of people, and that's exactly what you don't want in this pandemic. So we had that problem, and then today it's going to be even worse. There are a larger number of flights with more people coming, and they seem completely unprepared. You have not gotten any reassurance um, from uh, from uh, customs officials that they are going to have more folks on hand today? Well, here's what I got. I got a call at about 11 o'clock last night after that tweet from a White House staffer who yelled at me about the tweet. That is what I got. Now, we've been talking to Customs and Border Patrol officials directly on the ground at O'Hare. Mm -hmm. uh, I've been working with the mayor and our senators to make sure that we're getting the federal government to pay attention to this problem because we can't have it happen all day today. Governor DeWine, you've been among the more um, uh, governors that have, I, I think, following Dr. We talked about the banning, but it, she adds up in mayor of, of uh, fucking Chicago, bans firearms and ammunition to the city of Champaign joint. I'm fucking this all up. So we had last podcast, Chicago. Now Champaign. They added to it. Please read the statement below, then watch the ex exer excerpt today's meeting, which explains what the emergency order details. The full meeting will be shared on social media, the city's website, website shortly. Um, Mayor Frank Finan emergency came on Friday and it related to the coronavirus, which has caused many states to declare emergencies as the virus continues to spread. The mayor executive order gives Frank Finan extraordinary powers, including the ban of sale of firearms and ammunition, among other restrictions, including ban of sale of alcohol and the sale or giving away of gasoline or other flammable or combustible products. They're just taking control. Executive order allows city to be flexible to properly respond to emergency needs. None of the options will be necessarily implemented, but are available in order to protect the welfare, making sure that we're prepared and ready for any eventuality. I hope all this is for naught. Blah, blah, blah. Illinois has a total of 32 confirmed cases of coronavirus. That's it. No, no deaths. Jim Hassan, never let a crisis-based opportunity to shred the Constitution. Ken Garner, of course you did. Why do voters keep putting people like this mayor in a position of power? Naturally, the list doesn't stop at guns. Mosey 16, more than firearms. Violating part of the Open Meeting Act. Ban sale of firearms and ammunition. Ban sale of alcohol. Closing all bars, taverns, liquor stores. Ban sale of giving away a gasoline or other liquid flammable or combustible products in any container other than a gasoline tank. Direct the shutoff of power, water, gas. Take possession of private property and obtain full title to same. Prohibit or restrict ingress and egress to and from the city. Only Dems are doing this. Bob Cooper is a Dem. He closed down Nashville. Because once again, they truly believe Trump is going to get everybody killed. It started with Governor J.P. Pritzer from Illinois. The crowds and lines at O'Hare are acceptable and need to be addressed. Donald Trump, Mike Pence, says this is the only communication medium you pay attention to. You need to do something now. These crowds are waiting to get through customs, which is under federal jurisdiction. So, 
He does a website, and I was waiting for three, two, one, the media to criticize it, and, you know, they ignored the ACA total flop. They never criticized that website. The things, things take time, and yeah, they were right on top of it. Go by, the ability to get a test is going to be infinitely better than it was several weeks ago. At the news conference that you held on Friday, President Trump said that Google was working on a website that very quickly would help Americans get access to tests. Well, apparently that was news to Google. Uh, they're now working with the government, but officials in California told my colleague Jake Tapper they were actually stunned to hear the president say this because they had a pilot program that was set to launch next, next week only in California or part of California, and they were going to present it to the Trump administration, but there was not this nationwide initiative okay. ready to go. We've conflated two things there that are confusing. Google and their website that gives you instructions about where and how you can get a test is different from the availability of tests. Okay, so the Google right now, they were talking about, we have a website up and we'll be information and it's kind of a pilot. But still, apart from that, having the test available in, in, in commercial places where you can get it are not absolutely wed to Google's website. You could still get tested if their website isn't up the way it should be. I understand, but if the president is essentially saying that Google has a website <clears throat> or is putting tremendous resources towards a website that is going to give people this information, right. and that isn't the case, right. uh, how, can American how can the American people trust that an effective response is being run if they're being directed to yeah. incorrect information? Yeah, I think the issue is that's not the only way you're going to wind up knowing where to get. You get on the phone, your doctor will be connected to the Walmarts and the CBSs and the other places we will be able to get it. So having the heavy hitter commercials involved is helped by a website that can tell you where to go, but you could still get it apart from the website. The CVS and, uh, CVS and Walgreens were also surprised by sort of the promise that was coming right. from the president <clears throat> about the availability of drive-through testing Where's the communication? Because clearly the leadership, the communication is a prescription in itself. Where's the, yeah. where's the stumbling block no, here? The, ult the ultimate goal is to get to a drive-through. Are we going to have it tomorrow? Unlikely. But will we have a much greater availability and implementation of testing in the very, very near future? The answer is yes. It's going to be different next week than it was four weeks ago. That's for sure. Are there going to be enough ventilators for what is coming? You know, it depends on what you mean by what's coming. Right, right now we have uh, 12,700 ventilators in the stockpile. We will use the stockpile as needed. We will be able, hopefully, to backfill the stockpile as best as we can. Remember, when you talk about will we have enough, it depends on what we just spoke about, the worst-case scenario, the best-case scenario somewhere in the middle. If you're talking about a situation like Italy, if you get a situation like Italy, which I hope and don't think is going to happen, you have to be prepared for it, that an outbreak, a pandemic like this, could overwhelm any system in the world, no matter how good it is. So the job is to try and make sure we don't get to that worst-case scenario. Because there may not be enough ventilators. If you get to a worst-case scenario, you've got to be realistic. There might not be. Let me get back and emphasize the job is to put a full court press on not allowing 
the worst case scenario to occur. What does that look like if there's not enough, if we get to that point where there's not enough ventilators, then what are we seeing? I mean, if you don't have enough ventilators, that means obviously. That was Keller on CNN. She she was going to do it, but of course she didn't give the whole truth. Google-funded think tank chief resigns after wishing coronavirus would kill Trump. The head of the Google-funded think tank is resigning after suggesting to his Twitter followers that we'd like to see Trump die from coronavirus. Tech Freedom President Baron Soska is going on an infinite sabbatical to write a book on tech policy, the libertarian-leaning group told Politico. Soska got in some hot water Monday after saying on Twitter that it would be poetic justice for Trump to die of the deadly virus. Serious question. Could there possibly any greater poetic justice in the universe than Trump to die from CPAC virus? We did it like two shows ago. He tried to fucking apologize. It just didn't work. And then we got Matto and Cuomo, and I didn't even know how to title this. It's We're out of other things to criticize. Let's just do some more criticizing. The quarantine... Um fiasco, which I think stands alongside the testing fiasco, to me feels like a point that's worthy of focus because it seems more fixable. The testing thing, we obviously screwed that up royally as a country. They are trying to scale it up. A lot of effort is going into that. It's still going to take a long time and it will hamper our efforts until we've got it in place. Meanwhile, without testing, all we can do is large-scale mitigation efforts, like getting rid of crowds, telling people not to fly, other things like that. But also people who believe they've been exposed should quarantine. Would fed, clear federal standards on how to quarantine and under what circumstances help? That's not the right approach anyway. Okay. You don't want infected people or suspected infected people in there with their families. They'll okay. just pass it on to them. China has had enormous success in beating down its epidemic. We don't know what's going to happen when China tries to reopen its economy and let people go back to the factories and back to the uh, subways and back to offices and restaurants and everything else. We don't know what's going to happen, and they're going to do it in a very slow, graduated way, but they have been in lockdown all this time. But we see the drone shots from these cities and we think, ooh, lockdown, it looks terrible, there's no, no traffic on the street. That's not the point of what they did. They had to do that in order to introduce the measures they were going to take They were actually going to fight the epidemic, and that is testing, 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 testing. Find the virus. So one thing is... No matter where you go, if you are able to get out of the house in there, you know, if, if you go into any building, your temperature is taken. I came into this building, nobody took my temperature. They asked me some silly questions I could have lied about. But, um, you know, they, you, you get your, your fever taken. You get into a bus, your temperature is taken. You walk into the train station, your temperature is taken. You walk into the building, you walk back to your apartment building, your temperature is taken. And what happens if, you're t- if you show a fever? Then you're sent to a fever clinic. People are not sent to their own doctor's offices. Your doctor's office is dangerous. One of those tests will make you cough usually cough or gag, and then you've infected the doctor. And then the doctor's office is out, and you've possibly infected anybody else in the waiting room. So they are sent to specific fever clinics, which the Chinese have had since they battled SARS back in 2002. They designed these and basically mothballed them. It's a, it's a usually an entrance to a hospital. It's separate from the main entrance. They're, they're met by people in complete protective gear. The temperature is taken. They're asked quickly what their symptoms are, whether they've been exposed, how they've been exposed. They get a quick white blood cell count, which takes about half an hour to see whether or not they have bacterial pneumonia. It doesn't tell you what the bacteria is, but it tells you whether or not you've likely got, it, got that. They get a quick flu test to see if they have flu. If you've got one of those, maybe you can be excluded and go home. You're simply something else. But if you uh, don't have either one of those, then you're given a CT scan. 
CT scans in this country take half an hour to an hour, and they're you know, extremely expensive things. There they have portable CT scanners. They have pushed people through those things at the rate of 200 a day. A couple of slices of the lungs, and that's all, to see whether or not there are these ground glass opacities in both lungs that are a pretty good indication of this. All right. If you come up positive for that, then you are going to uh, get a PCR test, which is the test we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's basically a nasal swab is the usual way to do it, which is push a Q-tip up your nose so far it feels like it's going into your brain. It's not very pleasant, but then they do that on site. They've gotten it down to four hours. There's no sending it off to the state health department. So you no. sit and wait for it to come back. And you sit and wait. You are told, sit you know, a couple of yards apart from everybody else. People are sitting there, I was, it was described to me, they're sitting there with their pink envelopes with their CT scans inside them, and they're afraid of each other because they all know that they might be, you know, mm-hmm. they might be sitting next to somebody who's, uh, who's got the virus. And uh, once the scan results come back, and if they, if they can't get the scan results back that day, they have to go to a hotel, a quarantine hotel, and wait until the results come apart back. Apart from their family. Apart from their family. And that is the key element. There is no home isolation. There is no home quarantine. 75 to 80 percent of the transmission in China was in family clusters. What would make the news was things like, oh, my God, it's in the prisons. Oh, my God, it's in Parliament or whatever. It wasn't in Parliament there, but you'd hear these kind of, oh, my. but 75 to 80 percent of it was inside the family. And they knew they had to stop that if they were going to stop the disease. So people were literally quickly taken away from their families to these giant gymnasiums or stadiums where there were, they were not concentration camps. They were beds you know, there, and there were nurses in protective gear to watch out for people. They even had dance classes in these things. Because when you have lots of little old ladies sort of sitting there together waiting to see if they're okay, if you get them all up dancing, one, it helps clear their lungs if they have pneumonia, and the people who can't get up may be the ones who are crashing. It's not a bad policy. We, we laugh at the pictures when you see people dancing in what look like moon suits, but in fact, that was something medically smart that was going on. If people actually need to be hospitalized, you know, the, the, the people who don't need to be hospitalized who are ones in the so-called 80% of mild cases. I'm sorry I ever used that expression when I wrote that first article because mild, when you look carefully at the study, is everything from almost no symptoms to pneumonia but doesn't need oxygen, doesn't need hospitalization. Wow. Now, I've had pneumonia. I've had walking pneumonia. That was not like having a mild cold. That was serious. I had it about two weeks different from when Hillary Clinton got it. You saw her collapse on the street. Mm-hmm. She had to be carried into her van when she collapsed. I was standing on third place playing softball with some friends and thought, I'm going to collapse here. Um, and, you know, went to the doctor the next day. So those are the cases. They're isolated away. And people actually sort of move through the system. Suspect cases, uh, mild to moderate cases, and hospitalized severe and critical cases who are actually in hospitals. And the crucial thing about that system is break the chains of transmission and also do what you can to keep the hospitals from getting overwhelmed. Because when the hospitals get overwhelmed, you have to say, okay, she lives, she lives, but he dies and he dies or whatever. You know, she's young and has kids. We'll save her. Grandmother, goodbye. Those are the choices they are making in northern Italy right now. And they're going to be making them all over Italy pretty soon. And we will, too. The virus. So that's why it's wash the hands, wash the surfaces. Disinfect all the time. I mean, you know, look, somebody coughs or sneezes in here. It doesn't matter if you disinfected yesterday. You've got to disinfect again. Go straight ethnic. Be cleaning everything all the time with the harshest cleaners that you can find. <laughs> Another question that wasn't on the list, by the way. Um, and then I'll get to this one. Before, all right. They want you to totally not tr- trust anybody in the government because they're not Democrats. And they're doing it so they can get somebody elected. I understand their reasons. But as stated in my intro rant, they're not seeing 
the results of that. There's even NBC News Think. Coronavirus in China kept me under quarantine. I felt safer there than back in the U.S. Our laissez-faire attitude, prioritization of personal freedom, and utter lack of government leadership have left Americans confused and exposed. This piece of shit wrote, I've now lived through coronavirus quarantine in two countries, and the differences are stark well beyond their airports. In China, the obligation to isolate felt shared, and the public changed their habits almost immediately, or else they get shot, dipshit. Sterilization, cleanliness, and social distancing was prioritized. Rightly or wrongly, the Chinese state heavy-handed approach seemed to work. In contrast, individual liberty is an engine that drives American exceptionalism, which is such a bad thing for Dems. There are certainly valid questions about how much of it is it to sacrifice in the same name of public good, but our laissez-faire attitude, blah, 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 blah. Particularly troubling has been the extent to which it has felt like high-risk residents such as ourselves have had to shoulder the burden for stopping the spread of the disease by being the only ones to go into isolation. There are lessons to be learned from Chinese people, if not its leadership, including that everybody must accept their own responsibility, vulnerability, and complicity, sacrificing rights or collective good, or many of us will die. Collective good. The left is so socialist. Stephen Miller, what the fuck is going on on NBC? What the fuck is going wrong? What is wrong with you? How could you get this far off? How? How? How could you hate America so bad? We even have kids doing this. I just ate a cup of noodle myself, but... Jeff Bezos is out there eating a $1,000 steak in his trillion-dollar mansion. And then, what What? what are you doing? What are, what are we doing? We're, we're here on on my stream eating a cup noodle. All right? We got it. We got it. Exactly. We got to eat the rich. Exactly. Eat the rich on Twitter. Boomer remover. Very funny. Vindic- vindicating personal payback for climate change. Remember, my grandma is a boomer. She's so nice, knows my favorite food is green Tootsie Rolls and save them in a bag and mails them to me. I love her. I just saw an elderly couple at the store disinfecting the cart and looking worried, and it broke my heart a little. So if I hear anybody saying boomer remover in real life, I'm mostly likely to slap the shit out of them. It was a Twitter thing. Twitter didn't stop it. They said the virus is them, and it's their punishment for destroying the climate. Then we had Trump. Virus. Eric Shampala is the number one. Um, Obama, ultimately the buck stops with me as president. I have solemn responsibility to protect our nation. Trump, no, I didn't take any responsibility. Uh, death toll from the hoax has now risen to 69 with 3,807 confirmed cases that nobody confirmed. That I don't know where they got those numbers because I couldn't even find them. It's going to be hard for you and your grifter family to continue to profit off the Trump plague when America's completely broke. Kushner pictures. It wasn't Obama or Biden and the election is around the corner. That all I need to say, folks. We could have been prepared, but Trump fired everybody. That's a lie. Let's take a look at the deranged Donald and his Trump plague. Somebody screaming at... Uh, this is literally... Let's listen to this. You reach the top of... Shut the fuck up. Shut all the way the fuck up until you reach the top of... Shut fuck mountain where there are no more fuck-ups to shut 
It's a woman looking at her TV talking to Trump. This is allowed. Everything on here, fear-mongering or totally exasperated stats, no grounding, just... It's Trump virus. We got to win an election. We blame Trump. Adult, 60 million people, 12,500 died. Shut your mouth. Those are facts. We don't deal in facts. It's Trump virus. He brought it. To our positives, which there's a few. Here's a garbage man. This went viral. I'm a garbage man. I can't work from my home. My job is essentially city service. It must be get done. It's a tough job from getting up pre-dawn to the physical toll it takes on my body, the monotonous nature of the job. At times, it's hard to keep on going. Right now, though, right now I am feeling an extra sense of pride and purpose as I do my work. I see people, my people, of my city peeking out the windows at me. They're scared. We're scared. Scared but resilient. Us garbage men are going to keep collecting the garbage. Doctors and nurses are going to keep doctoring and nursing. It's going to be okay. We're going to make it and be okay. I love my city. I love my country. I love my planet Earth. Be good to each other, and we'll get through this. Yeah. A garbage man's better than the left and the media right now. Then I'm Adam Housley. is definitely worth your time, especially if you're feeling as inundated as we are with, oh, my God, the sky is falling. The world is ending because of Trump virus. Here's the latest cautious optimism. Spoke with several senior members of the government, both parties, and also some mental public, uh, medical public health first responders. And while they say to be vigilant, me- measured, and sanitized, and all that, we've been told, they also say that it's if it's true that China knew of coronavirus in early November, the likelihood that it already run through part of this country is massive, meaning we are way past testing and mitigation. It also means we may, may have moved through it in parts of the U.S., Again, this is a very cautious optimism. The first responders I spoke with and several doctors say the flu was rough this winter and many people with very similar symptoms of COVID were sent home to recover. Did they already have it? Has it already been through there? Thus, the rough flu season we've experienced already, there are all questions we know answers to soon enough. I suggest to my colleagues in the media, these are the questions and investigations we should be doing. Put politics aside for a couple weeks. Try it. Barrio Fro, politics aside, what a concept. Another one, too bad your colleagues want to play gotcha. Another one, they can't, Adam. They hate Trump, so they must put politics up front. Reasonable truth. The worst part is the media is essentializing the negative rather than how we as Americans come together and support each other. They don't want that. They want you separated, isolated, scared, so you'll go and vote. A Democrat. John Hayward, why do we get so much delusional fear-mongering in times of crisis? Because it works. It gets clicks and riles people up against a designated hate object. The dopamine hit is enormous. Money often changes hands. And when the doomsday predictions don't happen, there is zero penalty. If hysteria matches political preconception, it doesn't matter if it fails to come true or even if the 180 degree is wrong. The doomsday prophets get unlimited credit for good intentions. They predict what should have happened according to dogma that will never change. The dark side of the preference cascade phenomenon creates stampedes. As soon as they see other people reacting to a crisis and it's actually affecting daily life, the public suddenly shifts from 
apathy to frenzies activity and demands for someone to do something immediately. Of course, there are political predators lying in wait to take advantage of the frenzy, like the Democrats who tried to stuff abortion junk in the coronavirus emergency bill. Their whole agenda revolves around catching panic waves and surfing to greater power on them. Among the many ways the media make it worse is by keeping the same people on speed dial for analysis and commentary, which is never positive people. It's people that say they're, they're never Trumpers. Um, it doesn't matter how wrong they are and always have been as long as they're narrative-friendly and good for hot and spicy sound bites. Social media unquestionably made the media worse by giving it a bottomless well of hysteria to dip into whatever it needs to quickly fix. It's absolutely insane how much of news coverage is now shaped by 280-character messages, often composed on cell phones. Rest assured that when the coronavirus panic is over and the actual coronavirus problem is resolved, that the people who made the most hysterical doomsday predictions will suffer zero damage for their credibility. They probably won't even be asked how they got it so wrong. The less modern media takes from boy who cried wolf is not that crying wolf is wrong. It's that the boy should have cried louder. Monetizing his crying demand, more funding for the Department of Wolf Control, and gotten himself on a few Rolodexes as a wolf expert. Our media has made it so bad. Canada is slowing the flow of Americans into Canada, and Mexico is considering shutting the border. Shutting the border. Because they freaked everybody out. They just freaked everybody out in the world. But we got some positive. I got a Greg Gutfeld soundbite, and I got Fauci dogging CNN. And this needs to happen more often. And we as Americans need to start understanding what's going on. But more on the backside of these positives for my commentary of the day. Um, I want to take a look uh, at this picture. You actually touched the same podium. I'm sure you've seen this in microphone as the president and other CEOs, even at the same time. The vice president has taken a test for coronavirus. He tested neg- or The president has tested negative, I should say. Has Vice President Pence, have, have you taken a test? Are you going to no. take a test? No. Well, I, I'm not taking a test for the summer reason. I have no symptoms. I have not. I, I'm practicing pretty good. Social distancing. I don't it's, go to, but it's hard to, it's I, hard to I know, fully do it as we But see not it everybody in the United States should take a test. I mean, I have no symptoms. There's no reason for me to take a test. If I'm in a situation where I'm at a higher risk, I will take a test. The picture you showed about the microphone. Let's get real here. I mean, there are certain things that you have to do. If I left the microphone at that, you would see nothing but the microphone. My putting my two fingers to get the microphone down isn't that bad. So I don't think we should make something of that. I'd like to see people more doing this as opposed to shaking hands. Well, we are not going to shake hands, although I am very <laughs> grateful that you're here today, Dr. Fauci. Thank you so much. Wait, we're here. I don't want you. To, I don't want you to go on and deflect and talk about something else. So John didn't dance to Don's tune. And so Don acted like a bank robber who found out his getaway driver just took him straight to the police station. Then there's this clown who says calling it a foreign virus is racist. The president referred to the coronavirus as a, quote, foreign virus. Why the president would uh, go as far as to describe it as a foreign virus, that is something we'll also be asking questions about. It's going to come across to a lot of Americans as smacking of uh, xenophobia. So I guess Zika, Ebola, and Rocky Mountain Fever are racist, too, all named after places of origin. Acosta's idiotic emotional bias should be called CNN virus. 
named after its origin. But I don't have time for this, and frankly, neither do you. You're either a plus or a minus, and those are all minuses. The pluses? We're now canceling events. Even a conference on the coronavirus was canceled because of the coronavirus. That's like canceling my fan club meeting because I'm too hot. The NBA postponed their season, but it's not just basketball. It's baseball and hockey, too. Let's go. That's some good stuff right there. My commentary is pretty simple. If you really listen to the media, they're talking without facts. I believe the last tweet screed we just did was true. Our flu has been horrible this year. It's been high forever until this week. In my area, it went from extremely high to low. The wave went through. Is the coronavirus a killer? Yes, for old people and impaired immune systems. But do we need to panic to a level that we're shut-ins? No. Do we need to panic to a level that we clear out grocery stores? No. We should be smarter than this. I'm not saying Trump's doing a great job. I'm saying he's doing more than any president's ever done during a pandemic. Because we lived through H1N1. We lived through avian We lived through all these ones that took out all sorts of people, killed tens of thousands. And the same people that died then are dying now. Those are the people we need to worry about. I taught my mom how to do a click pick and told her not to go grocery shopping. I told my sister the same thing. Should you... Stay home more? Sure. Should you not go out and eat all the time? Yeah. Do I think avoiding large crowds? Probably. But do I believe we should shut down every sporting event? Every fucking TV show is shut down. They've quit production because of the panic. There's a reason people are on the TV panicking. And you should be smart enough to understand, it's not the virus. It's politics. If Fox News was politicking and panicking under Obama, I would say the exact same thing. There's a reason they want you unstable. But since you listen to this podcast, we already knew they had a plan, the resistance in March, to take down the economy. That's step one of this panic. And two... They are in election mode, as we're about to hear as we go into the damn stuff. They want you to think that this administration's fallen apart. But, on top of it, after four years, you should be smart enough to understand 80% of everything they said is a lie. It's by those people this person talked about who walk around... And say the same things that are wrong, and they never get held accountable for it. But this podcast is probably the worst of all of them. Because when you couldn't find real things, because he's doing the things you told him to do, you started showing what it's always about. Intersectionality. A hat. He needs to get a test, but we don't believe the results of the test. I mean, for fuck's sake, folks, if that isn't a clairvoyant moment for you to go, oh, 
That's what this is about. We as Americans should be smarter than this. We're being sheep right now. We're following a media, and even I, who spent $375 on groceries, freaked the fuck out the other day because there was nothing there. Unlike other people, I didn't hoard. I got enough for about three weeks, and I went home. But I shouldn't have done it. But I got wrapped up and walking in a store with empty shelves and went, listen to my son, and I wasn't getting resupplied, and I went, oh, fuck. I'm going to get a bunch of stuff, and we're going to shut in for two weeks and just stay home. But in my area, there's not a single fucking case. There's only 39 cases. That's about the average of every state. 39 cases. No deaths. And they're all elderly. There's even videos of people online who came out of quarantine and the viruses. And they're saying, don't panic. But what gets published? I was in China and they're better than us. That's what gets published. Clickbait. Fear-mongering. I am personally keeping every one of these podcasts. Because when we ride out of this, I think the last gentleman was wrong. I think we should hold CNN accountable. I think we should hold NMSNBC accountable with they're going to kill everybody. Because the reality is, there is video last night of Biden touching his goddamn face after saying, I don't touch my face, and I'm doing the right things. In fact, let's play that really quick. This is last night's fucking debate. We can do that. We did that. We've been through this before with the coronavirus. We've been through this before. Um, excuse me. We've been through this before with uh, dealing with the viruses that the N1H15, as well as what happened in Africa. Now that's him talking, jumbling it all up. This is what CNN said about him and the virus. Uh, David Axrod, you've seen a lot of debates. You haven't seen one like quite like this, though. No, I don't think we've had one quite like this under these circumstances. And, you know, I thought that uh, the opening of the debate, which obviously focused on the crisis, was the strongest, uh, the strongest segment that we've seen from Joe Biden in 11 races. He looked like a guy who was, who was in command, who knew what needed to be done, who spoke to the problem with clarity and self-assurance. And it was it was a very, very strong uh, hour, really, uh, for him. However, I will say that I thought Biden was really strong. If people were watching for somebody they could trust in a time of crisis, somebody who understands their families, Biden is Mr. Empathy. At the end, when he tells a story about a good friend of ours sitting outside a nursing home window, trying to make signs to her parent so she could communicate, even though she is not allowed in, people understand that is going on all over the country. And Biden over and over again said, this is bigger than us. This is bigger than America. This is about the world and how we interact with each other. And I think that's a point that, according to polling, people trust Biden on. So while I don't think this changed the race in a very dramatic way, I think he managed to reinforce a lot of what people like about him. Who made the most of the moment where we are tonight? Well, look, in, in the middle of a pandemic, 
the healer has real appeal. And I think Biden came across as that healer. Uh, you know, early on, a lot of people are going to look at the first part of the, of the debate, and then they may drift off and come back for the end. Early on, he had some very strong moments. And, and clearly Biden won that debate. He looked presidential tonight. You know, I like where he said, I'm going to commit the military. We're going to come out and use the military to build hospitals. So he had concrete ideas. Senator Sanders kept getting trying to get back to Medicare for all and getting on different health care rabbit holes. People are sitting home today, so I'm terrified of COVID-19. I don't know what to do. Restaurants, bars are closing. I go to the grocery store. All of the aisles are empty. I don't know what to do. So they wanted to see who was going to continue to talk about and give them hope and leadership on the issue of coronavirus. And clearly Biden did that. Shot chaser. Shot chaser. That's a viral video. It's on Twitter. He doesn't know those people. But there they are. He's the one. He can get us through it. Because they're all fucking liars. He could have got up there and said whatever the fuck. He didn't have to say anything important. Wouldn't matter. He's Joe Biden. We want him to be president. We hate Trump. So he's ready to get it done. We're not going to talk about the 61 million people that got infected or the 12,500 that died. Those information and those facts don't need to be talked about. He's the guy that we trust. It's all politics. Let's do a short section on the Dems. Incredible capability of the U.S. Agency for International Development and our State Department to to assist vulnerable nations in detecting and treating the coronavirus wherever it's spread. We should be investing in rebuilding and strengthening the global health security agenda which we launched during our administration, specifically to mobilize the world against the threats of new infectious diseases. Look, it can be hard to see the concrete value of this work when everything seems to be going well in the world. But by cutting our investment in global health, this administration has left us woefully unprepared for the exact crisis we now face. No president can promise to prevent future outbreaks. But I can promise you this. When I'm president, we will be better prepared, respond better, and recover better. We'll lead with science. We'll listen to the experts. We'll heed their advice. And we'll build American leadership and rebuild it to rally the world to meet a global threats that we are unlikely to face again. You know, and I'll always tell you the truth. This is the responsibility of a president. That's what is owed the American people. Now and in difficult days ahead, I know that this country will summon the spirit, the empathy, the decency, and the unity needed. Because in times of crisis, the American people always, always stand as one and told the truth. Volunteers raise their hands to help. Neighbors look out for neighbors. Businesses take care of their workers. So we'll meet this challenge together. I'm confident of it. But we have to move and move now. Thank you all for taking the time to be here, and God bless our troops. Thank you. All right, Joe Biden there with a speech on how he would deal with coronavirus. I want to bring in Abby Phillip and Dr. Peter 
Hotez. He started by saying that this virus has laid bare the shortcomings of this administration. He went through them. The hollowing out of agencies, he said, the disparaging of science, the damage to the credibility and relationships around the world. But just sort of big picture here, the president last night, he kind of whiffed at his chance to convince Americans that he has a plan for dealing with the spread of the virus here domestically. And he just set the stage for Joe Biden to kind of walk on in and look presidential. Yeah, it seemed very much that last night what President Trump thought he needed to do was to rebrand this crisis by calling it something different, uh, saying that this was a foreign vi- a virus and uh, trying to kind of frame it in a sort of us against uh, us against them kind of way, but what the American people and, and frankly describe them, a travel ban exactly, is the major tra- solution. Exactly, um, he, according to our reporting, was looking to do something big, and uh, when he's looking to do something big, he tends to kind of veer toward uh, immigration or travel-related restrictions. But what the American public and the markets were looking for was some sense of a plan. What is the plan for getting testing to be more widespread in the country? What is the plan to build up hospital capacity in the in the country? What is the plan uh, for containing this virus that is already here? And what you saw Joe Biden do was something that w- would have been very easy for President Trump to do in his speech as well, which is just to simply lay out what are your proposals to get this done, put them on the table. Uh, and so it, this was really t-ball. For, for Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. It was not hard for him to have done that and uh, and it was made particularly easy because last night, even while reading from a teleprompter, President Trump uh, gave a speech that was riddled with falsehoods about what his own proposals were and what the situation actually would be for the American people. It was just a huge missed opportunity and he opened the door wide open for Joe Biden and later today for Bernie Sanders to make the case that he's uh, really not up to the task. Yeah, and these speeches, Dr. Peter Hotez, I mean, from a pol- politics perspective, point of view they're pretty there's a there's they're formulaic right you have uh, an organized list of things you're going to do you acknowledge what the problem is you throw some compassion in there as well and just acknowledge what people are going through but look you're the doctor so you tell us what did you think about this plan uh, are there things that you would like to have seen with this plan yeah, pretty much. I mean, he pretty much did the things that I was looking to the White House to do. If you remember last week, we spoke, uh, and I said the coming days are going to be really tough for the American people because finally testing is getting underway. We're bringing in some commercial labs. The numbers are going to go up precipitously. We're going to see uh, new sites of infection, and sure enough, that's exactly what happened. And then, if you remember, Brianna, I said, and we're going to be, this is going to be a very important test for the the president to be able to now no longer say it's business as usual. We're going to stop saying this is a mild illness, this is the flu, but we're going to say, look, this is a serious threat to the American people. These are the four problem areas I'm looking at. These are the. That was CNN building the case before for him. Once again, we have another demonstration now accustomed to kid glove treatment some Democrats have. Witness protection, Fox Mulder is his Twitter handle. The number of Democrats who think the media should be actively cheering their candidates is telling Biden campaign who isn't happy that the New York Times reported Biden's rather interesting virtual town hall. Simone Sanders again. When will the New York Times have the same energy for Trump as they do for VP Biden? The paper's working overtime to make Trump sound coherent. We are in the middle of a pandemic, and he is bungling the response. But please drag us for a video teleconferencing software. Priorities, New York Times. Joe Biden goes digital. It could have gone 
um, smoother. In a rare Oval Office speech, Trump voices new concerns over old themes. Stephen Miller, yeah, the partisan mega-thumping right-wing rag, the New York Times. Here's the teleconference. It was much like him talking about Corona. In the state of Delaware, for example, set up the coastal zone legislation, which means that they can't build any factories or any, any, anything within one mile of the estuary of the Delaware River and the Atlantic Ocean and the Chesapeake. And so but the whole point of this is that we can do a lot to deal with endangered species. And one of the things I would like to raise is that we have to deal with this on an international basis as well. Because right now, for example, we have a thing, you know, Brazil has the, the Amazon is burning because they're trying to clear the Amazon in order to make money in agriculture. What I'd be doing is organizing the entire world to say, stop now. Stop doing that. We will pay you $20 billion no longer to do this because you have an opportunity to be able to make up for the loss of being able to have this this Amazon. It was worthy of scorn. But one kind of critical article when you're having stuff like this, is this a political story or a Biden press release? Take a look at the Politico story about Biden's coronavirus speech on Thursday, but pretend you're reading it as a release on Biden's press letterhead. The headline, Biden offers coronavirus plan rebuking Trump's American first approach. Joe Biden delivered a swift and urgent action to combat the coronavirus in a speech that rebuked the Trump administration isolationist response and sought to preview how he would steer the nation through a crisis as president. The 2020 Democratic frontrunner offered a detailed new roadmap stemming the virus, emphasizing the need for solidarity and championing science. He also painted a broader vision to restore the U.S. as a world leader. One day after Trump announced a shutdown of foreign travel, um, an Oval Office address filled with errors that shook already troubled financial markets. We will never fully saw We already listened to this, so I'm not going to go through the, what Biden said. Trump's vague description sparked panic at airports. Public health experts, meanwhile, panned the speech for falsely casting the outbreak as a foreign virus. Byron laid out a multi-part plan for combating the disease that includes guaranteeing no-cost test and rushing resources to providers he slammed trump for its rocky rollout what else do you want for biden this is like hillary clinton all over again it's literally fucking horrible then washington post takes biden with four pinocchios for nasty trump edits on twitter so biden rolled out a video in it, he edited everything. The fact checker gave him four Pinocchios because it was the same thing. He didn't call the virus a hoax. But Biden rolled that out on Twitter. Twitter didn't put it deceptive edits like he said we wouldn't. But Trump's was. Then Biden brings out Beto O'Rourke as the anti-gun campaign manager. And there he is. And then they talk about the debate last night. Tell me, everybody in the media is not on board with Biden's The Man.
What I drew from that first hour of the debate was the contrast between either of these candidates and President Trump. Um, it, it, their solutions to the to the uh, to how to confront the coronavirus were essentially the same. I think what really came across was was the contrast of both of them saying, we're, "We'll listen to the doctors. We'll listen to. We'll, we'll follow the, the, where the science takes us. We'll treat this like a crisis and an emergency." Um, and uh, uh, you know that compared to the way President Trump has has, has handled the crisis is uh, the, the contrast could not be uh, more stark. Well, you know, nobody said anything bad tonight, either uh, Senator Sanders or, or Vice President Biden. Uh, clearly, the vice president uh, was an advantage because you know he's been through some of this before. So I thought uh, the vice president was really pitch perfect tonight. I thought he he really nailed it uh, in a lot of those elements. Maybe not going quite as far as as the governors. I would of like but he was he was quite strong in terms of the real big picture stuff that needs to be done the vice president was definitely ahead vice president biden talks about that senator sanders talks about medicare for all which i think unfortunately has become so political that we're politicizing now this response to covid19 uh and, and i don't think we need that right now we need more of a focus on what's actually going to bend the curve with the response to covid19 i thought biden really nailed it security and Medicare and Veterans Program. No, I did not talk about the need to cut any of those programs. Okay, all that I would say to the American people, go to YouTube, it's all over the place. Joe said it many, many times. I'm surprised, you know, you can defend that or change your mind on it, but you can't deny the reality. So, Senator, because you brought up Social Security yeah. and you've been talking uh, about it, I want so I just want to give him a chance to respond okay. and then we can come on, back. Let's stay on. We're, we're staying on this issue. Number one. No more subsidies for fossil fuel industry. No more drilling on federal lands. No more drilling, including offshore. No ability for the oil industry to continue to drill, period. Ends. Number one. He even rolled out the Hillary, you don't need to drill. We don't need to drill. These fucking people live in a world that's just unbelievable. They believe there should be no fucking accountability. And they will be. You wait, friends. If Biden pulls this off, there'll be another virus, and you I, I'll be sitting here going, listen to this. I know what you'll listen to? Crickets. There'll be no pandemonium. They're not going to freak out. It's Biden. It's a Democrat. Democrats are fucking perfect. It's almost goddamn comedic. All right, to big news, it didn't go viral because, once again... He's an African-American and he's Democrat. Ex-Florida governor candidate Andrew Gullum was in Miami Beach hotel room where drugs were found. A police report about an apparent drug overdose in Miami Beach hotel um, overnight Thursday says that one of the three men present in the room was former Florida gubernatorial candidate Andrew, Andrew Gilliam, along with three small plastic bags containing suspected crystal meth. The incident can mark a sudden end to Gilliam's political star, which shone brightly for many Democrats even after he lost the 2018 election. We're in paragraph three. You never heard Democrat to paragraph three. For the rest of this, they don't really talk about Democrat ever again. That is the only Democrat reference in this. And why do I say that? Because, once again... We start with Republican, ex-Republican governor candidate caught in room. 
So basically, because I'm going to break this down because we're kind of long and I want to get the new social media nuggets, there was also a male escort in there. The plot thickens. Friends who allegedly with Andrew Golem in Miami hotel room have reportedly thrown a bit of wrench in Gilliam's explanation. As Twitchy told you, failed Democratic Florida gubernatorial candidate Andrew Gilliam has claimed that he was just drunk but not on meth when he was found naked and inebriated in a Miami hotel room. Gilliam said he was drunk, not on meth. Why? I had too much to drink. I want to be clear that I never used meth. Gilliam's statement, I was in Miami last night for a wedding celebration when first responders were called to assist one of my friends while I had too much to drink. I want to be clear, I never used meth. Jessica Limscombe just spoke with Travis Dyson, a friend of Gilliam, who was in the hotel room last night. He said Gilliam did not mention anything about a wedding. New Times reached Dyson by phone just this afternoon and asked about the wedding celebration. Referencing by Gilliam, Dyson seemed confused. A person not celebrating a wedding. I don't know if Gilliam was in town for a wedding. He did not mention that. Said he's known him since last spring. We've been friends for a while. And then went silent on the phone and did not answer any more questions with the New York Times or the New Times. Just because Gilliam didn't mention a wedding doesn't mean he wasn't celebrating any. Many he was just too drunk to remember. Dan McGoughlin, mm, Jessica Limscombe, full story. The plot thickens. Chuck Unger does his best to run cover for Gilliam. As we told you yesterday, okay, fuck it. Any uh, 34 uh, police said he was in Murnium, South Beach, early Friday morning and found paramedics treating Travis Dyson, a 30-year-old Miami man, for apparent heart attack. They say that two other men were in the room, Aldo Mayhass and Gilliam. Police said Gilliam was not arrested, was too intoxicated to answer questions. A defense incident report says that the officers found three clear bags of, of crystal meth on the bed. Chunk Unger. The Gilliam headlines are very misleading. He was not in the seedy motel by himself. He was at a high-end hotel with friends for a wedding. They were all intoxicated as everyone in the wedding, or even if there was meth that was on the floor, there were at least three people in the room. Jim Hassan. Come on, man, man, meth, male, escort. Too messed up to even talk to cops. The math on this is not that complex. Nick Searcy, totally normal. Everyone I've ever seen been to, I've wound up puking in a toilet where someone else has a heart attack from meth with a male escort in the room. Take precautions. That's not mine, officer. What do you think? I kept it on the floor? Robbie Starbucks, nice spin, chunk. But that's not at all what happened. Gilliam was with a male escort, and a third man found them under the influence of unknown substances with the male escort overdose so he could call the police. The male escort was interviewed and said he knew nothing about a wedding. The guy who he was with knew nothing about a wedding. A wasted Gilliam was alone in a room with an overdose male escort and three bags of meth. That's when a third guy showed up, called paramedics, and started trying to resuscitate the overdose. That's our media. That's our that's our fucking media. I I just I Sometimes I get speeches on my show because I'm just like, you got to be fucking shitting me. Dudes with a male escort, meth, there's an overdose, and this wasn't front page moot. They're still trying to push him for candidacies. And the last thing I had in here, they're doing it with Biden because we're going to spend our music break and go to news and social media nuggets with more coronavirus panic by our media. Stay home, Ryan Houlihan. The first thing Joe Biden did was cough without covering his mouth. Biden coughed into his hand about six weeks into his first response. This is out of order because I was going to play this to start the debate. 
That's why I'm talking about it. But literally listen to this. Let me do it again. Right. This is the person that gave us hope, the media said. He can get us through the virus, the media said. The first thing Joe Biden did was cough without covering his mouth. Biden coughs into his hand about six words into his first response, the kind of thing where he didn't notice a week ago. In the span of 10 seconds, Joe Biden mixes up corona with swine flu, mistaking call H1N1 virus swine flu, the the N1H1, forgets the name of the Ebola virus, called it what happened in Africa. People like to praise Biden's confusion of words, and hey, fair point, but Sanders twice said Ebola when he meant coronavirus. Biden saying he doesn't touch his face four seconds after using his hand to knock on his own head and very relatable to me, Biden, about coronavirus. I'm sure I don't touch my face seconds after touching his face when saying knock on wood. But the media says he's the guy to get us through this. That's what the media says. Once again, not a Trumper. Don't expect the government to save me. But at the same time, I don't expect the media to freak everybody the fuck out so that we panic by everything within goddamn sight for on average 39 cases per state. We're not talking about an outbreak here. There's a possibility of an outbreak. And I do expect our media to hold both sides accountable. But that's impossible as you listen to this montage as our music break and we go into news, social media nuggets. Because the numbers are still going up no matter what you do. Right. It's how much up they go that is the issue. I guess the, the question <clears throat> is, are we, are we taking these precautions that you and others have said seriously? I, I don't know if you've seen overnight these pictures at various airports as people scramble to come back from sure. Europe. Stuck. I mean, look at these crowds in O'Hare. You had crowds in Dallas, uh, at Dulles, and these are people because of this worry. They want to get back into the country from Europe, and they're being jammed together. This is the federal government. The the governor of Illinois basically said, "Look, we can't do anything about this. This is the federal government." What went wrong here? No, I don't think anything went wrong. I think it's just the nature of the problem. When you have a situation where people are in different countries, that there are going to be restrictions. American citizens, their family, others, permanent residents can get back. They don't need to immediately get back because they think they're going to be left out. They well, not, but they but, came, but that's what they did. That's what they did, but they're not. They will be able to get back. When they do get back, they're going to have some enhanced screening, depending on the country. If you're in the European group, if you're now with the U.K. and Ireland, what you're going to have is you're going to have two weeks of, of self-imposed isolation. Italy, uh, you can, you've brought up Italy a few times. Uh, I want to bring up a, a story here in the Boston Globe where one Italian journalist shared the following um, remark and he just said, many of us were too selfish to follow suggestions to change our behavior. Now we're in lockdown and people are needlessly dying. This is St. Patty's Day weekend. There's right. been plenty of bars and restaurants that right. are crowded. Is this a mistake? Uh, yeah. France and France just shut it down. Yeah. Spain is shutting it down. I think Pennsylvania is thinking about doing right. this. Should the country shut down bars and restaurants? Well, you know, that's an individual question. What the country should do is absolutely and more so proportionately in those areas that have community spread. But as a country... Well, where, what areas don't have community spread right well, now? Well, you know, I mean, real obvious community spread. So the question is that you want to 
bring down and hunker down everywhere, even more so. I'm not saying the rest of the country's okay, don't worry about it. Everybody's got to get involved in distancing themselves socially. If you are in an area where there's clear community spread, you have to be much, much more intense about how you do that. That's where you get things like school closings. You don't want to school close every school in the country, but there are areas... Why, why don't you? And I ask yeah. this because, it, it, is it, do you worry that if some places do a lockdown, but some don't, I, I take, you know... I think Indiana is one of the, every state that touches Indiana has closed schools, but Indiana hasn't, for yeah. instance. So, it, it is, are you risking something if not everybody is following the same guidelines? No, Chuck, you always want to be ahead of the curve. I mean, the, the, the golden rule that I say is that when you think you're doing too much, you're probably doing enough or not enough. Okay. All right, that's the thing you've got to do. You don't want to be complacent. You always want to be ahead of the curve. But it depends on how far ahead of the curve you want to be. Don't even for a second think that I'm saying we shouldn't. I like to be criticized when I say, oh, you're being too overreactive. That's good for me. Okay. Right. Let me ask it this way. We've had a healthcare official say this to us, that if, if we could guarantee that people... Can we make sense of it? I mean, David, how do we... How do we get our arms around it. Well, there are two issues. Maybe I should do them separately. One is the political leadership issue and one is the moral and social issue. And just on political, I found it an enraging week. Uh, we sat here many years ago when we saw some images of Katrina and bodies floating in New Orleans. And I think both Mark and I felt a, a deep sense of anger. And I feel a deep sense of anger that our government has uh, responded so badly. And frankly, it's, this is what happens when you elect a sociopath as president who doesn't care, who's treated this whole thing for the past month as if it's about him. How do people like me, minimizing the risks, does the stock market reflect well on me? And he hasn't done the normal things a normal human being would do, which was to let's take precautions. Let's do the backup things we need to do. Any president would sit down with his team and say, people will suffer here, let's get ready. And he's, he's incapable of that. Uh, and he's even, he's even created a... a information distortion field around him. Even today, the press conference today was all his propaganda. It wasn't honest with people. And then when you meet Misha's perfectly good question mm. uh, about an agency, maybe he didn't know when that, that part of the National Security Council was shut down, but he should know about it by now. And so the fact that he wasn't even aware of this is a sign that nobody's willing to tell him bad news. And we've got a dysfunctional process at the heart of the administration at a time of great national crisis. With all that going on, Mark, how does that affect Americans' ability to get through this? And Senator Cruz, you yeah. know, a another component of this is the public reaction. We each have a role to play in containing sure. and mitigating the effects of this illness. There's a poll out this morning showing that Republicans are much less concerned than Democrats about contracting the illness. And if they're, they're less concerned, the question is, will they take these precautions seriously? So as a Republican senator, what is your message to Republican voters, Republican citizens about how seriously they should take this outbreak? Well, the, the, la the last I checked, this isn't a Democratic virus or a Republican virus. The, the, this is a, a dangerous virus. This is a serious public health crisis, and we need to take it seriously. Now, at the same time, we shouldn't give in to panic or hysteria. We need to follow the science. We need to listen to the medical professionals. About it because I think you and I may have a different read on it. That he's more measured and he's not blaming uh, us and he's not blaming Democrats. Okay, I have never seen him give a speech and seem as nervous 
as he was tonight. Now, part of that is what we call prompter Trump. He didn't write it. He's not familiar with it. It's hard for him to follow the teleprompter. Okay, that's stylistic. But his breathing, uh, his, what was his tone? He did not vibe a lot of, I've got this, to the right. nation. No, I agree with that. And look, he's not a natural politician. So, you know, we live in an age when people are going to look at this and are going to evaluate his leadership uh, with a partisan lens. We know that. We've been covering him now for going on four years and, and the election as well. So people are going to have different views of that. Yeah, he's not uh, accustomed to giving this kind of speech. I thought he kind of ran through some of the language instead of really talking us through these points. There was still self-congratulation about how great the response has been. There, you know, he talked about we're all in this together. Well, I didn't hear any empathy for our, our allies around the globe, like the Italians. And what The truth matters, but only when you see it. Only when you hear it. And right now, as the country and the world are trying to figure out how to best stop the spread of the coronavirus, the truth may be more important than ever. It's about trust. But here's the thing. Many Americans who tuned in to some media outlets like Fox News this week were told that the craze surrounding the global pandemic is just another excuse to attack the president. One Fox host went as far as calling it the coronavirus impeachment scam. Someone with a television platform did that. A headline in the Washington Post this week reads, Rupert Murdoch could save lives by forcing Fox News to tell the truth about coronavirus right now. What worries you the most about the misinformation we're seeing? Look, the, the misinformation itself is a public health crisis here. And the fact that these folks go on air and misinform an audience, which, by the way, is largely in the demographic that is most susceptible to the complications from this disease. I'm talking about older folks, folks you know, in the, their mid-60s, 70s, and, and older, is irresponsible. And I think that headline gets it right. I, you know, at the end of the day, Rupert Murdoch, his son Lachlan Murdoch, they are responsible at the end of the day. The buck stops with them for what goes on that network. They have never really touched it or interfered with it or told them to stop being so heavily partisan, even sometimes when they don't agree with everything that's on air. Now would be a time to step up for, the, for if not the sake of the nation, the sake of their own audience, their own consumers. Poking at the media bubble, one podcast at a time. Here's Tony Reid. Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. If you can use some exotic booze, there's a bar in far Bombay. Come on and fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. Were you trying to get crazy with this, see? Don't you know I'm local? Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. Dr. Jarrett, what are we seeing around the world and how does the American response compare to the best versions of response that we've seen from other governments? You know, so our response is among the very worst in the world, certainly among all the major countries. Um, 
Every major country has more testing than we do across Europe, South Korea, Japan, um, even Vietnam and, and Iran until recently have been doing a better job testing than we have. Um, it's really mind-boggling how badly we have done on testing. And, you know, without testing, it's really hard to get a grip on how many people actually have the infection, where the infections are, how widespread it is, and what we can do to respond to it. So I, I see this as just a catastrophic failure on the part of uh, the federal government and the, failure, and the federal leadership. Sherry Fink, how much time uh, did the Trump administration have to get ready? When did the early warning go off for them? I think it was early January when the reports came out of China that there was this uh, suspicious cluster of pneumonia cl cases and that the likely culprit was a new coronavirus, co coronavirus being the type of virus that has caused uh, MERS and SARS, those other bad uh, outbreaks in the past. So we heard about it in January. We had that sequence of that virus. I think it was January 10th, and that's when... Um, you know, around the world, there were efforts to start to make the diagnostics that we're talking about. Let's listen to what the president said today about testing. And uh, frankly, the testing has been going very smooth. If you go to the right agency, if you go to the right area, you get the test. Uh, now, with, with that being said, as you know, millions are being produced. Ron Klain, apparently he was talking about Lindsey Graham. If you go to the right area, you can get the test. Yeah, I mean, look, first of all, it's obviously unacceptable that only connected people can get tests. And it's probably not even true that all the connected people can get tests. I mean, I think everyone who works in this field has got their email box filled with people who believe they've been in contact with someone, who are worried that they may have it, who have symptoms, who cannot get tests. And that, Lawrence, even just scratches the surface of what needs to te be tested. It's not just the people raising their hands begging to be tested, and the president's out and out lying about that. It's equipping our state and local public health departments to go do surveillance to find out where the virus is. Is it in nursing homes? Is it in senior centers? Is it among vulnerable populations? We, did not only, we need to not only be testing the people who are demanding to be tested, and of course we should, we need to be testing the people who we should be looking out for and protecting from this virus. Uh, Dr. Jar, if you could ask anyone in this government anything, whether it be the CDC or Health and Human Services, uh, Mike Pence, what would you want to know from whom? So I would like, to, like an honest answer of when are we going to get tests available to frontline doctors and nurses? When are we going to finally be able to figure out how widespread this disease is. Um, by most estimates I've seen, there are likely uh, many, many thousands of Americans who are infected tonight, um, but we can't figure out who they are. We can't identify them. We can't treat them. We can't isolate them. And I want an honest answer. And every week we hear from the vice president and from others that millions of tests are being shipped out. Um, but I talk to state health officials on a almost daily basis. They don't have the tests. They can't do the tests. Doctors can't do the tests. I want to know when are we going to finally be able to test patients uh, who need the tests. Of course, that's a professor saying, you know, we're all going to die. Because, you know, facts, facts are fungible and you can manipulate them the way you want ucla caves is striking students only to be met with more backlash in a letter addressed to the university of california los angeles community on tuesday executive vice chancellor and provost emily carter appeared to came to graduate students demands only to be met with even more from the students 
In an email regarding the ongoing strike by UC students at campuses around the state, Carter said UCLA would be working to utilize some of the funds from our just-completed centennial campaign, as well for other institutional refunds to provide summer graduate fellowships for up to three months at $2,500 a month to support students engaged in scholarships, research, and creative work. Recognizing the challenges, blah, 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 blah. By the end, it's not enough. We want more. And it just turns into what I say with these people. Fuck them! Go out and fucking get a job. Shut up! Fucking losers. Ohio State students demand refunds after college kick them out of dorms. For some, this is home. Uh, I gotta put my glasses on, sorry. This is like font zero. The posters at the MIT students protest about the campus move, move policy are powerful reminders that institutions really need to think carefully about norms they embody in policy and often profound and harmful narrowness of the imagined student. What the fuck does that even mean? With colleges and universities closing across the country due to coronavirus concerns, students and faculty at some campuses have held protests over decisions affecting on-campus housing. Harvard Law student protested outside the dean of students' office while residents' advisors met with campus officials to discuss concerns from students who live on campus. One student, Felipe Hernandez, told the Harvard Crimson that Harvard's decision to vacate the campus has put a lot of students into a panic, anxiety, and emotional distress. (laughs) Oh, my God. I gotta fucking live on my own. I gotta actually find a place to live and pay for it. What the fuck? Students couldn't sleep overnight, couldn't eat. People broke down crying because they thought they had to move out as early as Friday. Current the Harvard Crimson Dean of Students, Marcio, Marcia Sells, sent an email to law students saying that Harvard Law School will provide financial assistance to students who need to travel. Sells also wrote that students could not be evicted without a place to stay. At MIT, approximately 50 undergraduate students, graduate students and some faculty held a sit-in. According to organizer, protest was calling for MIT to reconsider petitions to students requested to stay on campus. We just want to live here. We don't want to have a real life. Lily Chen, an MIT graduate student, one of the organizers, lamented that there has been no official response from MIT on what students are supposed to do. Yeah, there is. Get the fuck out. Go home. You probably burned that bridge, though, so you're fucked. Later on, she also had that she is frustrated, tired, resigned. Students are putting all their efforts into trying to get their friends and peers into safe situations in time. But the dorms are going to be locked in four days. We're going to have to leave. Life. It sucks. Eerie, stoic, confusing. Students cope with new campus reality. I meant Corona Corona virus. Here's some of their stories. Clay Robbins. Got to put the glasses back. I should just leave the glasses on. That's what I should do. Yeah. Clay Robbins, Arizona State University. Arizona State University boasts one of the largest student bodies in the United States and seeing a lack of activity on campus's area. What usually is a campus filled with students, activities, and energy has all been replaced with silence. A faint sense of panic. We are one of the universities that are testing. You know what? Stop. We're going to play violin music. We're going to play violin music. Okay, that's much better. What usually is the campus filled with students, activities, and energy has been replaced with silence, a fate sense, a panic. We are one of the universities that are testing two weeks of online instruction, so we are caught in between, wondering whether we should return home 
or remain in the dorms. A sense of uneasiness and anxiety. Blah, 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 blah. Let me turn that down just a little bit. Justice Brooke Murray, Syracuse University, has become a ghost town within the past few days, except for the campus Not Again SU protesters who are still occupying an administrative building for almost a month now and refuse to leave until all their demands are met. We've reached the point where many remaining students on campus walk wearing masks. And I can't tell whether they're trying to avoid germs or if they're part of the Antifa-style protest. (laughs) While these students are allowed to remain on campus during the evacuation period, the university will not let them come back before March 30th if they happen to leave at any time. They do not clarify whether this applies even to students who are just leaving campus shortly to run errands. Alex Toki, Albion College of Michigan. Just about every student at college, including me, was confident that the school would eventually move us to online instruction and shut down all in-person classes. They did. As of late March 12th, in an email notifying us that on Monday, March 16th, all courses would be transitioned to online instruction. Prior to all this, I had spent weeks planning my fraternity formal dinner weekend. This is not good enough. Let's move on. Later on, slowly everything that I had devoted an abundance of my time and energy to had completely fallen apart. At a snap of a finger, the mood on campus had gone from gleeful content to completely stoic. No one around us could believe that some unfathomable situation in Wuhan, China, oh, you're a racist, had halted our lives. Luckily, our colleges has not notified us that we are to move out of our dorms. All seniors, including me, are sticking around on campus. Uh, however, optimistic. Jonathan McCormick, Andrews University in Michigan. My school, Andrews University, is kicking most students out of the dorms on 11-day notice. There are some categories of exempted students, but this whole thing is extremely disruptive. One school official said that measures taken over COVID-19 would be dystopian. Students have had to cancel plane tickets. And there's a general atmosphere of uncertainty. Sergi Kelly, Michigan State University. Michigan State University has suspended its in-person classes and moved to online classes, canceled events of over 100 people, and recommends student groups not meet. To help keep focus and regimen, I've started going to study lounges to have a class Zoom calls. The greatest setback for me has been impact on student groups. Running club canceled. And while we can still train unofficially groups which I lead, the MSU College Republicans and the Morning Watch are heavily impacted. Katie Everett, Texas A&M. As a senior at Texas A&M, having my classes canceled in my last semester was devastating. Ravaka Kanoda, Santa Clara. Yeah, that's not a good one. Addison Smith, Liberty University. I have not been greatly impacted by the decision regarding the corona. Classes have not been canceled. We're moving on because we're not losers. Jessica Custodia, SUNY Duchess. I don't even know what that is. The school closing is a big disappointment to me. It has affected me because I rely on work-study group and I'm unsure if I'll be working there the next few weeks. 
My school has suggested we either go online or distant learning. Tyler Dayval, Ohio University. The leadership of our school is incompetent to the point they have driven the school into a budget crisis and this sudden transition does not help. They've announced the move to online learning but then took a step back and extended spring break. I've received one email from one professor who says he doesn't know how to do online classes. I also have currently two friends who are essentially refugees. And they did not leave the town for spring break, but are still being forced to move out of their dorms. They have jobs, so I'm letting them stay with me. Overall, the response has been confusing, and nobody really wants to know what's going on, and we are pretty much in the dark. Corbin Hubble, Doan University. Residents' life are now relieving PARAs of their duties and will not be paying them. The campus is still open and the cafeteria is still able to serve food. However, the students who are unable to return to campus face uncertainty with their financial futures. Jesus Christ. It's called life. It's life. Join it. Not everything is a frat party or a protest, you fucking Chia Pets. To gay shit. We're going to have Disney, Diary of a Future President, questions 8th grader sexuality. Supergirl protects vulnerable trans community from being erased. Look, I... I... I know this is... Hey. 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 Wow. Little pump in the cut. Hey, gang shit, 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 gang shit. Look, I, I, I know this is a personal attack, but you have to trust that when we find this guy, the cops are going to put him behind bars. Tara, I love you, but do not tell me what I can and can't do right now. There is no catching this guy and redeeming him. There is no hope speech that can make this better. Yeah. No. Look, my community is vulnerable. This happens more than you could possibly know. And there are guys just like this jerk out there who want to hurt us. They want us to hide and to be afraid to be who we are. They want us to disappear and it happens every I know, and and what this guy did is horrible. He's not the first, and he won't be the last. We haven't exactly been a priority for the cops, so just trust me when I say that I am the one protecting this community. And now this bastard is going after my community, trying to erase me? No. No, this guy is over. Maybe put Yvette's quote at the top of the third graph. Brilliant. For 24 trans people have been murdered in this country in the past year. The true number is likely much higher. Many of these attacks are misreported because victims are misgendered in police reports. Mio is so angry. 
The Disney Plus stuff is really starting to get on my fucking nards, man. It's just getting on my nards. It's like Disney's supposed to be family-oriented, but it's just turning into the fucking huge-ass LGBT agenda crap just because they're buckling. And, though, they do good things, like, you know, air frozen for free early and all that kind of shit, which kind of screwed my daughter who paid money for it. Um, come on. Go back to being family, please. And family isn't sex. So it doesn't have to do with lifestyles or uh, alienating gay kids. It's about, you don't need sex. Sex is not part of a kid's life. They don't need that. LGBTQ student kicked out of Iowa Capitol over restroom use. This is from The Advocate. Iowa LGBTQ students have a lobby day at the state capitol Thursday. Were kicked out by police officers for using restrooms for the gender which with they identify. Four state troopers forces out, including myself. They pushed me, forced all the students out. Iowa Safe School Executive Director Nate Monson told the Iowa Starting Line, we had some students still in the Capitol. We had to find them. It was pure chaos. Iowa Safe Schools has organized a lobby day, bringing more than 100 students to meet with legislator, a transgender male student who was using the men's restroom, told the site that a man in the restroom noticed that he had a small amount of makeup on and told them, you're in the wrong bathroom. Police from Iowa State Patrol then began preventing other students from entering the men's rents room, even though Iowa has an LGBTQ inclusive non-discrimination law covering public accommodations. But a half an hour later, the state trooper said all the students had to leave. They started rounding up the kids that were wearing rainbow, essentially. They got in my face and told me I had to be quiet. It was quite intimidating. Andrew Kershaw, a teacher at Southeast Polk High School, said a trooper told him he'd never be welcome at the Capitol again. And one of his students was told he'd be at risk for sexual assault in the men's restroom because the student was a little girl. Iowa's starting line posted video of the confrontation on Twitter. The Iowa State Patrol released a statement defending its action. Approximately 12.30 p.m. today, the Iowa State Patrol and Capitol Security received citizens' reports of multiple people occupying one of the male restrooms in Iowa State Capitol. The concern parties expressed concern because the occupants included both adult and minor female. On three separate occasions, the Capitol Security requested the adult and minor female discontinue the use of the male restroom and direct them to the gender-neutral restrooms located in the Capitol should they desire. The group refused to comply with the request and were escorted out for not doing what the troopers told them. Monson was not mollified and said there will likely be legal action. The state of Iowa may have about 150 lawsuits in their hand. All the troopers involved should be fired. <laughs> Damn lawmakers came outside to offer support to the students. The students had some 
encouraging signs during Lobby Day as Senate subcommittee advanced legislation to ban the gay and trans panic defenses. The Trevor Project, which advocates for gay youth nationwide, issued a statement denouncing the straight trooper actions. They all need to die. Kill them. Take them out in the street and burn them. In a national survey of LGBTQ youth mental health, the Trevor Project found that 58% of transgender non-binary youths reported being discouraged from using bathroom that corresponded with their identity, and 78% reported being the subject of discrimination due to their identity. LGBTQ youth have reported experienced discrimination were more than twice as likely to commit suicide. I was going to play the soundbite of the Iowa stuff, but I'd rather play this moon bat, and the advocate just loves this guy. This is Randy Rainbow. And it just shows, once again, we, we talk about tolerance, and everybody needs to be tolerant of my lifestyle. But every time we delve into the gay stuff, you know what we get? We get a shitload of fucking hate. And it sounds a little something like this. Randy Rainbow. Trump and the coronavirus will make you sick. Thank you, Walt. Thank you, Wolf. It is no secret that a dangerous, scary, and infectious disease has been dominating the news cycle of late. And it's here to chat with us now. President Trump, thank you so much for taking the time. Sir, you originally called the coronavirus a democratic hoax. Now that it has become a major health crisis around the world, do you regret that response? That's just a continuation of the hoax, whether it's uh, the impeachment hoax or the Russia, Russia, Russia hoax. This is what I'm talking about. Uh, certainly not referring to this. How could anybody refer to this? This is very serious. Uh, and that's the hoax. That's what I'm talking about. But, sir, the state of this bug is blurry. Everyone's hypertense. Anxious, afraid, unsettled, and upset. I want to thank Mike Pence and everybody for the job they're doing. We have a great team. You tell us not to worry. Passing the ball to Pence. Politicizing a global pandemic threat. There's no reason to panic. You will probably, uh, you'll be fine. In other words, while you're worrying more for your own re-election bid, a person could develop COVID. You can say it's a con, but the stock market's still on its way to hell. You can call it a hoax, but it's hard to make jokes when there's no Purell. While your goal is deflection from this new infection that you can't spell, a person could develop a cold. At President Trump's direction, this is an all-hands-on-deck effort. A parasite such as this one latches on to its host. Typically getting thrown under the bus. This morning we talked a great deal about additional medical supplies. Acting like a physician, hoping to hold its post while osculating the gluteus maximus. From the moment that this country learned of the spread of the coronavirus, President Donald Trump took decisive action. In other words, just from kissing Trump's ass by indulging his ego trips, a person can develop chap lips. We're all in this together. He can pray every day till the gay goes away. Hey, it's worth a shot. He can climate deny till the oceans are dry and the earth gets hot. But if praying that deadly diseases don't spread is the best he's got, some persons could develop a cold. Let's 
it says here of spreading coronavirus. Currently, risk is low. Oh, turn off the lights and hide, though, just in case. Hmm, that doesn't sound terribly comforting. <clears throat> Lock yourself in your bathroom. Scrub till your tendons show, but don't touch your hands. The faucet, the soap, or your face. <gasps> other words, from too much information and not enough testing kits, a person can develop this shit. You can spray all the hand sanitizer wherever the virus lurks, but good luck finding any on Amazon or Bath and Body Works. If the experts assembled to save you are led by a bunch of jerks, a person can develop a cold. Fast-moving developments in the coronavirus outbreak. And furthermore, just from Googling symptoms until you've become obsessed, I have that. A person can get very depressed. So you calm yourself down while surrounded by all your home remedies. And you click on your favorite Real Housewives to put your poor mind at Blow up your phone with alerts every time they hear someone sneeze. Girl, a person can develop a tick. Now, a crick. Oh, or make himself sick. Ugh, from the wiping, overhyping, and a potus who acts like a prick. From a lack of intelligent leadership and a headline that's getting real old. Pandemic. A person can develop a Fine. Girl, get tested. So, because they hate everybody that isn't gay, they then also do extra fear mongering. LGBTQ people at heightened risk for coronavirus. One, because they use tobacco at a 50% rate, higher rate than general population. Two, LGBTQ population is a higher rate of HIV and cancer, which means a greater number of us have compromised immune. Three, LGBTQ plus people continue to experience discrimination, unwelcome attitudes, and lack of understanding from providers and staff at medical health. So they're just going to let you die. In addition, there were more than 3 million LGBT plus older people and the LGBTQ elders are already less likely than their heterosexual and cisgender peers to reach out to health and aging providers. So I, when I saw the title, I already knew it was we're going to die more, not because of our lifestyle that puts us at risk, but because everybody's a trans homophobe. And they continue facing a pandemic with xenophobic, narcissistic fool at the wheel. Whole article trumps the shit. I was dumbfounded that Donald Trump began his Oval Office address talking about foreign virus. Has nothing to do with it, but whatever. Healthcare companies could cover testing and treatment, he claimed. Then officials were saying, no, 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 just testing. In a speech yesterday, Joe Biden did everything right. He's perfect. It's just a whole article. Let's fear mongle. Then, oh, wait a minute. The Abbey closes due to COVID-19. Will other gay bars follow? No, we can't stop our gay bars. Wait a minute. No gay bar closures. This is the same website, folks. We're all going to die more because everybody's a homophobe. 
But don't close the gay bar. Next one, keeping the LGBTQ community financially strong during COVID-19. See, this is liberalism. Separating small groups. This is why this is their wet dream. They got us all isolated. Now you just pick them apart. Look at those other people. Eat the rich. (laughs) Then Stephen Fry advises everyone to turn off their alarm clocks to help fight for coronavirus. The British actor took to Twitter to share some choice advice. It's simple. Boost your immune system. Just allow yourself to sleep as long as natural. That that makes sense. But why was that an article? I don't know. I guess because it's an article. He's gay. So what he says is right. Biden's more gay than us, than Trump. And he's for the gays. So we're going to go with this dickhead who didn't get woke on gay marriage until Obama did. I don't I don't understand these people. Here's everything's racist. Everything is racist. Everything is racist according to me. Everything is racist. Everything is racist. Everything is racist according to me. Everything is racist. Pretty slow day for the da root. They had two articles on Gillum, and I'll just read the title because it pretty much sums it up. Andrew Gillum involved in alleged, no Democrat to be found. And then a whole article on how he's judged differently because he's a black man. Then a huge bunch on about three different African-American sites I go to. Then I don't mean that as a racial denomination. I mean, these are people we hate fucking whitey websites. Nathaniel Wood's sister confronts Alabama K. Ivy. You killed my brother. K. Ivy expected to answer questions about 2020 census on Thursday, and she was confronted by Pamela Woods, the sister of Nathaniel Woods, who was executed by the state on March 5, March 5th, for the murder of three police officers. Video from WAFF TV showed Woods calmly walking up to the governor. You killed my brother, Governor Ivy. You killed my brother. Ivy didn't say anything. He's an innocent man and you killed him. Nathaniel Woods was sentenced to death in 2005 for his role in killing three Birmingham cops, Carlos Curley Owen, Harley Chisholm III, and Charles Bennett. Woods didn't pull the trigger, a fact not disputed by prosecutors on Woods' defense, but it doesn't matter in Alabama where complicence to murder can not only receive murder convictions, but be sentenced to death. Now, this is when I turn from my normal... And go, this was covered on I Am a Murderer, which is a Netflix show. I don't believe his story, but once again, I don't think he should have gotten the death penalty. I think he was complicit for the murdering of somebody. Totally do. 100%. I don't think he was just an innocent dude rolling up and this happened and, gee, that's not right. Um, I'm just a, a victim. But it was pretty fucked up. That, that's the law down there, but every state has their laws. And if you're part of a murder, then you're part of a murder. And he got the death penalty, and he never pulled the trigger. So I think that is something that needs to be reworked. I truly do. That's just crazy. Um, because it takes an account. It doesn't take an account for the people that are. You know, a young kid gets picked up by somebody. He's in the car. Or he picks a friend up and the friend goes out and shoots somebody. Well, he doesn't have the premeditation. There's a lot to the case that I don't know about, so I'm not trying to jump to conclusions or do <clears throat> the first Netflix one where the guy, you know, was totally guilt, not guilty, and 
they ended up killing them and got it. You know, Netflix is just into the business of doing this now. That's what they do. So, um, that's why I covered Barbecue for speeding tickets. I believe none of this, but okay. Uh, department, uh, the police department gets caught offering incentives for cops to write more tickets. Despite law prohibiting police departments from instituting traffic qu- ticket quotas and despite police, police officials denying According to Fox 5th Atlanta and Douglas County, Georgia, cops wrote 4,000 fewer tickets this past year when the year before, and instead of thinking, awesome, maybe this means people are driving safer, some in the Douglas Douglasville Police Department wonder why. The number came out from traffic stops last year, dropped from 14 to 10. Lieutenant Brandon Nunner said in a January 23rd roll call meeting with 10 night shift officers. We're shooting for six. That's the goal, kind of goal. One thing we thought about is if we average over five a shift one month, quarter, we can go out and buy some steaks, pull the grill out, and do like a steak dinner. But what Nutter calls a goal looked more like a quota once he snug suggested an award for top performer. I think if everyone hitting the benchmark of five or six, they should get a certificate for that. A few days later, Nutter emailed police officers promises that just a certificate. Captain Weaver said he will write 25, t- 75 tickets in a rotation. They will do something for the shift and may come up and grill out for us. Police Chief Gary Sparks sat down with Fox Eye team to assure the public that Douglas does not have a quota system. I know that looks wrong. We don't condone quotas. When asked whether or not the captain had actually offered a cookout to shift officers writing a certain number of tickets, Sparks claimed he said he didn't. It's a misunderstanding as far as I know. Like other cities, Douglasville budget, how much it expects to collect in fines and forfeitures this year. This year's is $1.8 million. It sounds like a lot, but that's only around 7% of all revenue collected by the city. And if, if, if you're not disgusted with abortion quotas, you can't be disgusted with this. It's an incentive program to get guys to do their jobs. I know most of you that are writing dirty want them just to sit in their car and twiddle their thumbs. But these programs are done to get cops to do their job. Yes, and may be fucked up, but don't break the law. I know I've spouted off about what I thought was racial profiling for me getting a ticket because of the cars that were driving faster than me in the same pack that got ignored. It may seem hypocritical, but cops are held to a standard too. And none of these, I'm sure, are just written up stuff. Ever since Ferguson, the left and the African-American community just want cops to go away. And then when Baltimore comes and a bunch of people die, well, holy fucking shit. Cops ain't doing their jobs because they don't care about black people. It's a catch-22. If they do their job, you're saying it's harassment, and they're the KKK writing again. But if they don't do their jobs, you're pissed also. So it's a little confusing on what you really want. This was a viral video. There were articles all over uh, the the route. So let's listen to it. Man, which won't even like I'm it. I'm so ugly. <gasps> what? Don't say that. Don't say that. Don't say that. You are so pretty. You all shut up. Go in the room. What's saying? You when you look at yourself, you supposed to say, "I'm so pretty." You are so pretty. Do you hear me? You got the prettiest little dimples. What, what? You are too cute. Oh. 
this beautiful chocolate skin like you are just so gorgeous you got these dimples remember what I told you how many people got two dimples nobody you got two let me see you smile let me see let me see you got two dimples I don't even have two dimples girl let me see your teeth look at them pretty white teeth no, you're not going to cry. You are a beautiful little girl, and you are pretty. You are the prettiest girl in your class. Boom. Tell them straight up. When you go to school tomorrow, you got your hair done. You're going to be like, oh, look at my hair. Oh, look at my shoes. Look. This was turned into racial shit, and I don't know why. In a viral tweet posted by FemGod, little girl tells a woman, well, I'm assuming it's her mother, that she's ugly. I'm still ugly, little girl says. Gasping, the mother says, blah, blah, blah. She grabs a baby face adding, you've got the prettiest little dimples, you can be so cute. Little girl faces, winces, she begins to wail, and the mother cradles her, she reminds her daughter of everything about her that's amazing. Little girl slowly comes around, shows her mama her teeth, look at those pretty white teeth, take a look, blah, blah, blah. While this little girl never communicates why she believes she's ugly, I think it's safe to assume that colorism is at play. Yes, it's hard to imagine someone so young has already developed this distorted and loathing sense of self. But this right here is reminded that our children are watching everything we do, say, and the images we have around them for explicitly or implicitly telling them that they are not enough and that there is something inherently wrong with their dark skin, hair, and visibly black features. Watching this reminds me of my early days of teaching. A lifetime ago, when I first graduated from college, I worked at one of the most ratcheted daycares in the south suburbs of Chicago. One of our teachers, Tanya, who I could not stand, would always come in our classroom to coddle and sometimes pull out of class this little girl. Apparently, she used to babysit Lauren, but her obsession with this little girl went beyond. The two-year-old was extremely light-skinned with curly hair, and the teacher never skipped a beat to remind everyone in the earshot of the child's beauty. But one day, I had it with her bullying of me and her barging in and snatching the child. I finally mustered up the guts to say, you know, you keep taking her out of here, and she's missing her lessons, low-key. She's way behind the other kids. She barely knows her color. colors. She needs to stay here and learn. That dumb self-hating heifer looked at me and said in front of my whole class, she doesn't need to learn. She's light-skinned and has good hair. She'll always be fine. Someone will always take care of her. With that, she grabbed the little girl and stormed out. Of course, I was flabbergasted, blah, blah, blah. I get the Midwest has its own color-struck rules. But since, when have we been light-skinned an accomplishment or golden ticket to not have to learn? But I was really concerned about the other children in my class, especially the dark-skinned girls who heard what she said. Yeah, they were only two years old, but it's clear that those ignorant messages that put it out in the world are shaping how our babies see themselves. But that's just how pervasive and damaging colorism can be for our children who are just simply to shape how they see themselves and how the world sees them in return. Not surprising, this video with over 4 million views brought out 
such a raw and visceral response on social media. For many sisters, it was a flashback of time, bringing them back to their own childhood when they harbored the same self-hate. It's a constant reminder that while things are getting better, it's not happening fast enough. And then they go into a billion different tweets of people who say, blah, 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 the world's racist, yada, fucking yada, with yada. Here's my reply to this. We have Lizzo, we have all these African American ladies, they're always, regardless of what they do, put on pedestals. This is more you than society. It's okay in our society to call knobby need girls fucking trailer trash. It's okay to dog white people. It's social media. It's what social media is. It doesn't make it right. I'm just saying that's what it is. But your colorism. It's not racism. It's not society that's saying that black women aren't pretty. Society bends over backwards to make African Americans think that they're not racist. Because you say everything is racist, including a little girl, like every other literal girl on the planet, that sometimes feels they're ugly. I have a beautiful wife I've been married to to 33 years, known her 34. She doesn't think she's attractive. But you know what? I'm a guy, and I definitely don't turn any heads. I don't blame society. That's human nature. We all feel less than it's just part of being human but to automatically cast it out as oh yeah racism again colorism the light skin black dark skin shit that's all you that's the African American community I could do a whole podcast on all the bullshit I've seen between light skin and dark skin and how you dark skin people treat light skin people worse than white people so, maybe that's an in-house. Two, climate crazy. Okay. Okay. How dare you? It's not all about energy. It's about raising awareness for climate change in schools and all over Charlotte. Because here's the thing. Changes can be made. This is the first step to radical action, and we need it to happen. Yeah, you. We will make sure they that we put them against the wall. Yeah, you you know you're a pollutant. Too much CO2. So we have to get rid of the babies. That's a big problem. Just stopping having babies and fighting not. We need to eat the babies. How dare you? Our climate won't take out long because Climate change is lessons to fighting the coronavirus. That's a New York Times article. I just want to play the soundbite. That's that's the article. That's 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 where we're going with this fucking fight on the coronavirus. They got an intersectionality everything. So we now have had color, gender, sexuality, and climate change. Without playing the liberal shit bumper, here's the Simpsons. They're even getting into those right-wing ding-dongs who believe in God.
Come on down! You're the next contestant on Liberal Shit! You forced this man to jump on the grenade seconds before I was going to. Well, Simpson, thanks to you, now no one can bring grenades to school. This time you will be expelled, never to return. Please don't expel him. He's got nowhere to go. Bud Simpson, I hereby declare you... Wait. I've lived next to this boy for years. There's good in him. Let me work with him after school. I'll improve him with the three P's. Persistence, prayer, and persistent prayer. Oh, God, you're one of those. Dear Lord, don't kneel, don't kneel, we're in a public school, for God's sake. Engel versus Vitale, 1962, the Supreme Court asserts that... Superintendent, you are about to be on the business end of a prayer chain. As a part of a religious program carried on by government, it is a matter of history. My love of prayer is reflected in my chest hair. <laughs> I appear to be in the wrong group chat. The judgment of the Court of Appeals of New York is reversed, and the cause of... Amen. Sir, we're up to 205 verified prayers. Do you really want me to give them your office number? Huh? Huh? Fine, stop, please, I've had enough. We won't expel Bart. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If you supervise this boy, keeping him away from the baleful presence of his father. Woohoo! Win-win! Yeah, that's great. That's great. I mean, who even watches The Simpsons anymore? That's so old. Court throws out lawsuit filed by nurse fired for refusing to kill babies in abortions. First, abortion activists worked to end human rights for unborn babies. Now they're attacking religious freedom by going after pro-lifers' livelihood. This week, two Swedish nurse lost their year-long fight for religious freedom when European Court of Human Rights refused to hear their appeal According to the Christian Post, uh, medical professionals should be able to work without being forced to choose between their deeply held convictions and their careers. In this case, of course, it's EU, and therefore putting down, you know, basically that's the way they look at it, putting down Down syndrome kids, because, you know, why have those? Eat the babies. Woman forces daughter to make false rape claim attempt to get money from school district. A high school student and a teacher were arrested Wednesday after allegations that the student sexually assaulted a middle school student and the teacher ignored and encouraged the assault. Police say they have video footage of the assault. If the two men were arrested, police were informed that an additional student claimed she was sexually assaulted by Alamance High School student 18-year-old Brandon Tyler Lane and the teacher 42-year-old Samuel Brady Freeze did nothing to stop it. Police found witnesses and said the girl's mother, Melissa Marie King, 35, made up the story forced her daughter to do it so they could get some money. They're now being charged. That's good. <clears throat> and to just some fun stuff and then we'll close this podcast out. Possessed victim crawled to ceiling and hovered for six hours in horror exorcism. Ron Fail Enright, if you got him ahead for name, your deuce bag, Archbishop and Chief Exorcist of the Sacred Order of St. Michael the Archangel said exorcisms are just like Hollywood, with victims often having gray-like skin. Stories that uh, like that don't help the cause. Satan- satanic groups across the U.S. are mutilating cattle for sexual organs. Sweet God. 
Sudan groups have been slaughtering cows across the U.S. for years in the United States to steal their sexual organs. Thousands of cattle have been mutilated in country over the past 30 years. In Oregon last year, cows were found to have been sucked dry of blood, while on hundreds of other occasions their sexual organs have been removed. Some believe an unknown animal is to blame. Others think it's a secret government operation. Others think it's the UFOs, but it actually is satanic groups, and they've tracked them from Texas to Oregon. Pulling out the sexual organs to have, I guess, some kind of ceremony. And I hate to keep calling, covering this, but it just keeps on coming back. <clears throat> this London firm that is making sex dolls has now put human hair on it. This was on Drudge, and the picture is, it's freaky. It ain't right. It's just not right anymore. I, I I just have to say, it's starting to freak me the fuck out. To our lighter fare, no audio today. Well, let me look for something. So you might hear some audio if I could find a funny. I haven't built a fine. But we do have an article which just cracked me the fuck up. Yeah, man. I know that the coronavirus is in North Carolina, but I just... I just don't think it's that big of a deal, you know. Um, my employees are pretty smart about this stuff. I, I think they're pretty safe. Hey, what's up, Tom? Did you ever figure out that hex code situation? No, I didn't. Oh, <laughs> God, what the hell, Dom? Oh. <coughs> oh, man, I'm sorry about that. Did I get you? Hey, Zach, could you uh, take care of something for me? Just finish this up. I got a phone call. Sure. Hello? Does anyone have a pen I can borrow? Uh, yeah, here you go. Hey, uh, you know what, man? Uh, I'm gonna have to call you back. I, I got a situation. All right, Ranger Up didn't let us down. That was pretty funny. <laughs> that was pretty funny. To our article, our last podcast, we were all verklempt over people not going to Chinese restaurants. It was another added xenophobic event for the left that we we're all supposed to go to Chinese restaurants and da-da-da-da-da. AOC now to everyone in New York City, but especially healthy people and people under 40, because from what I'm observing, that's who needs to hear this again. Please stop crowding bars, restaurants, and public spaces right now. Eat your meals at home. If you're healthy, you could be spreading COVID. 
Michael IRL, ammo underscore IRL is his handle. Does this include Chinese restaurants? I'm just asking for a friend. Fucking hypocrite. All right, This Is America Today is going to be a soundbite from a lady who was part of the Wiener laptop investigation. And when you hear this, your head is going to start spinning. Because we were told in a couple weeks there was nothing there. And then China is blaming the U.S. Army. This is the only instances of it in the media. It was on CNN briefly. But these are the same people who keep telling us that China is better than us. Trump sucks. We all need to go jump off cliffs because we're going to die. This story wasn't that big. Because the media, hey, you say Wuhan, you're a goddamn fucking xenophobe. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the last soundbite. Like the media say when they are pushing fake liberal agenda stories. This is America in 2019. I got the strap. Six hundred and seventy thousand Clinton emails when they got Ainer's laptop in a search warrant. All his sex perversion issue. It was all the Clinton Clinton Foundation, her Secretary um, of State emails, Huma's emails. Lots of people emailed Huma as a for Hillary. So one of the things, if I were them, I'd do is demand the Anthony laptop and get it to the most trusted person in the area to take apart everything on it and then using it. There's a lot that computed, I have no doubt, on that laptop. And for fact, I heard that the New York police officers saw some of it, even though their hardened investigators literally had to go throw up. It's bad. As we wait for that, a prominent Chinese official now promoting a conspiracy theory. Get this. The Chinese officials suggesting the United States military could have brought the coronavirus to China and that it did not originate in the city of Wuhan like it is widely thought. This is the latest part of a Chinese campaign propaganda to question the origin of the pandemic, which has infected more than 130,000 people now around the world. CNN's Kylie Atwood joins me now live. Uh, Kylie, you're learning this is creating some serious tension now between the United States and China. Yeah, and a new development in these tensions just today. The Chinese ambassador to the U.S. was summoned here to the State Department by a top State Department official for the region, Assistant Secretary Stilwell. I have been told by folks in this building that they are furious with the Chinese government. That's because, just as you said, John, they are now claiming that potentially the U.S. military could be to blame for the Wuhan virus, uh, which originated, as we know, in Wuhan, China. We have seen the U.S. push back on that disinformation. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo even called it the Wuhan virus just last week to make sure that folks knew where the epicenter of this virus really is. And we also heard uh, President Trump earlier this week call it a foreign virus. They want to make the case that this originated in China, and that is the reason that they summoned the Chinese ambassador here to the State Department today. We are still waiting for more details with regard to what that conversation looked like, but there are growing tensions between the U.S., the Trump administration, and the Chinese government over where this virus originated. Huh. 
They're calling it the Wuhan virus. Our media is ignoring the story that the Chinese are saying it's a U.S. virus. So our leaders call it Wuhan to push back. And our media still ignores the Chinese calling it an American virus and labels our leaders xenophobes for doing so. Wow, there's a reason the administration's calling it the Wuhan virus. But we're not going to tell our people that. We're just going to panic and fearmonger because we're gigantic partisan pieces of shit. Both those stories should be fucking big time stories. Wiener's laptop and the fact that the Chinese government's trying to blame America for their fuck up. And our media is calling them racist for calling it that to push back. Those are just huge things. And that's why it's This Is America. That is how fucked up our media is. You're going to play intersectionality reindeer with calling a virus what it is because our government has to do that because China's trying to blame everybody else. Ain't that some shit. On top of it, we got fucking people saying they'd rather be in China. Goddamn libs. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share with your family and friends and comments to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. FOP podcast gmail.com get the show on soundcloud podcast addict tune radio google play itunes blueberry stitcher and pocket cast remember to check out the facebook page at fop podcast and the twitter page at fop tony reed we're going to go with uh, another podcast on friday that'll be the 20th of march year of our lord 2020 so we'll do one on 3 2020 or 23 20 if you're in the military until then, stay safe, don't freak out, don't panic by, we're going to all make it through this, I swear we are, we just got to stick together and be more like um, a couple podcasts ago, the Italians on the balcony singing together, instead of the buddy fuckers buying up every piece of toilet paper on the planet. <clears throat> make sure you disconnect from all your devices, other than to check on your area and the important stuff. Take some time to be with your family. If you're in isolation or if you your work decides to cut and work from home, enjoy this time. Spend some time with your family. It's actually a blessing. As I told my wife the other day, maybe the best thing that happened to her is that she got fired. Because now she has to be in the gauntlet if it does become a pandemic. And handling people's money all day getting sick. Tune back in Friday, folks. As always, thanks for listening and take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride makes every day count. Thank you.